Blog Talk Radio. All right, Ralph, it's good. We're live from San Diego. What do you think about this? David, I'm uh, honored that you're here with us today. Um, Alight is going to be doing a presentation on how innovation and finance are coming together with mortgage banking. And I think we're going to really have uh, an amazing um, symposium today yeah this is so this is called a symposium that's what you're really doing there right that's so it. that's good that's yeah that perfect so what we're doing we're by the way folks we're doing this live it's one of the first events we've done where outside of our regular monday broadcast what we do is we come in here and we our goal is to come and do a broadcast that really allows people to hear what a company is really talking about so you guys are doing a live event this is your second annual and okay. this event is called a uh, an executive or a CEO. What is this called again? This is the uh, CFO Innovator Finance Event. CFO. Okay. So really, is it is it an audience of primarily CFOs or CEOs? But tell me about the audience that's coming together here, Rob. So we have uh, ten of uh, of our customers that are here that have brought about fifteen people, anywhere from CFOs to senior finance people, and then we have forty nine. Uh, potential customers that have uh, signed up that are going to be also attending the MBA AFM conference. All right, good. So there, and, and so in the audience right now, you've been milling, mulling around and getting to know some of the people, the attendees here uh, is everyone from the mortgage industry that's here or is that, cause you also, uh, not a lot of people aware of this, but a light also works in mortgage and mining, the two M's you guys, M and M's. That's right. So, um, Everybody for this particular conference is all mortgage-related. But you're right, uh, David. We have um, a mining practice as well. And uh, that's a separate practice run with separate folks. uh, But the concept is still the same. It's about financial innovation. It's about enterprise management. It's about understanding the enterprise value of your company um, every moment of every day, 24-7. Very good. Well, I'm impressed this fact that you guys have put this on for two years in a row. You're bringing people together, largely talking about finance. Tell us a little bit about who, you know, who a, a, a light is. I mean, how did it start? How long ago did it start? And uh, give us some feedback. So our founder, uh, Rand here, um, founded the company, started the, uh, uh, the company about 10, 15 years ago. And he's a former CFO and was always, um, let's just say, uh, not happy with Excel and, and financial planning. So he designed and uh, created his own uh, platform. And uh, it's since developed into a light. And um, today we celebrate over 20 customers on the mortgage banking side. Um, we have a strong effort in our mining division. And um, this is the type of thing that uh, Alight does. It's financial forecasting. It's all about looking at what the future is, not the past. 
So you're into financial financial forecasting. That's really the primary sweet spot in the space that you are operating in. And we're so so you've been in the industry like I have been for I you know forever. Right. <laughs> we won't go into how old we are, but you're doing a great job of uh, just helping bring clients in here. But how many companies really do the job necessary to really do the financial forecasting and, and what they're doing. If you could talk Ralph to what they've been doing to what light can help them to do. Well, it's almost like uh, David uh, it, it's analogous to, um, you know, you, you have a starting point and a lot of these uh, our customers, mortgage bankers, they use Excel. Um, they're doing some budgeting. They're doing some planning. Uh, they do some forecasting. But it's an arduous process. I mean, every time you have to save another Excel workbook, uh, you've got macros that uh, break down. Um, sometimes the person that actually designs the, um, the uh, Excel uh, format leaves the company, so on and so forth. And what Alight does is it pulls all of those things together in a very seamless way, pulling directly from the general ledger allowing uh, companies to do what-if statements around um, the uh, financial pro- uh, forecasting process and do all sorts of what-if scenarios. So in mortgage banking, what if interest rates go up? What if interest rates go down? Should I hire more people? Should I tend to lay off some people or postpone hiring people? Um, what should I do about these branches? This branch is really producing, but this branch isn't producing. What if I want to go out and buy some branches? What, how do I model to that? And so what Alight provides the, the leadership team is the ability to actually plug and play. Uh, we load everything from the general ledger, uh, whether it's A and B or loan vision. Um, we're plugged into LOS systems and capital market systems. So we're partners with MIAC and Compass Analytics and MCT and uh, Secondary Interactive. And when you think about all of the information that flows in to a mortgage bank, what's interesting is that it doesn't really all come together in one place. And that's what Alight does. It brings everything together in one place for some very simple forecasting and and planning. And so a CEO can uh, sit at home on a Sunday afternoon watching that's what I want to get to, because this a lot of people say, well, financial forecasting is really for the CFO to do and then present all these reports and, you know, these what if scenarios. Right. That's what you guys really go to work at automating is you go in and allow the senior management team. So not only a CEO is going to sit and deal, start playing what if scenarios on there. He's worried about market. Now, for, for example, mortgage rates we know right now are rising. It's really ugly what's happening in the markets as we're doing this podcast live. I just got a phone call, uh, a, a live notification that you should have locked. We need to lock. This looks like it's heading worse. And you used to be a capital markets guy. So let's, let's touch on how the various ones, starting with the CFO, I mean, excuse me, CEO, we know the CFO is interested, and then go to the capital markets guy. Because the capital markets guy will want to play what-if scenarios in the area of his interest, correct? David, so everything starts with the CEO, right? right. It's, it's the CEO's vision. It's, it's where the CEO wants to go, where the CEO wants to be, 
um, all growth is is determined by the CEO. Right. And so with a light, the CEO can literally sit in their living room and allow their imagination to run in any direction and say, well, what if I want to do this? Or what if I want to do so that? So it could be positive. In other words, should I add these branches? What, what does that do to me? What if, you know, does it analyze, because cash, I mean, we're a leveraged business. So cash and cash, you know, what we have at ability, is, it can be a big inhibiting factor. If you've got the production problem solved, cash is the issue. So you measure that. That's exactly right. And so cash flow in any business is, is really the linchpin, right? It doesn't matter whether you're operating a, a, a little bagel stand in New York City or whether you're um, a major Fortune 500 company. The, the fact of the matter is, is that every business is dependent on knowing what their cash position is and liquidity. And therefore, mortgage bankers, particularly independent mortgage bankers, who really have no ability to raise cash like a depository does, right? right um, has to be extremely careful with their cash position. Do I have enough cash on hand to meet the liquidity and covenant requirements of my warehouse lender? Do I have enough cash on hand? And then when you're saying cash on hand and at the various production level. So if, if we were to increase production by, let's say, 20 percent, you know, what is that the impact of that have on my my company? Can I even grow that much with the cash that I have? That's that, exactly right. All right. That's exactly right. And so, you know, uh, there are other covenants. Do I have the cash for repurchases? Do I have the cash for EPDs? Right. Um, and so deep that, for those that are listening that don't know what an EPD early payment default. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Early payment default. Sorry, yeah. David. That's right. Um, we, we, we're, we're an industry of acronyms, aren't we, Ralph? That's exactly right. So true. So um, that's what a light does. And a light allows the CEO to start doing those things on his or her own, on his or her own vision. Right. And then can talk with the rest of his executive staff. Right. CFO, uh, senior leadership for um, originations, so on and so forth. And then together they can make a plan Correct. and they can roll out that plan or they can revise that plan. Um, you know, here, you know, over the last, I don't know, two years, big planning on acquiring branches, right? Um, why are, why are they acquiring branches? Well, to grow the business. Are they acquiring branches though? that are profitable, right? You know, are they acquiring branches based on what the branch manager told them they can do right. in the future or they have done? Correct. Right? I see. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good you point. Know, so um, with a light, a CEO can take the performer projections from a, an acquiring branch manager, plug them into a light and see exactly how that branch is performing relative to the other branches so when you're okay so let's look let's talk about it because you were a capital markets guy for a long time david once a capital markets guy <laughs> always, always yeah. a capital markets guy <laughs> yeah it's that true that's the truth even if you're going out and selling and working on selling and bringing technology for it so i agree with that talk about from we're going to have several guests on that later on after michelle gives her by the way you and I are talking in advance of Michelle coming on and that's giving right. her a presentation. And we're looking forward to that presentation happening. And I think that's going to be happening fairly soon. Michelle McGovern, which is the CEO of Alight, folks, is going to be doing a presentation from here. So Ralph and I are getting a chance to visit, do what we do well, 
And I think it's important. It's a good backdrop because when they hear her talk, they're going to have it in context of for those that never heard of life. So we've talked about a CEO playing with what if the, the various what if scenarios, the what if if we were to find ourselves um, uh, wanting to grow production. There's also the negative sides. What now that we have Trump in place? What if interest rates go up? What that's that's before we capital markets guy. We're going to talk about the nightmare he's living right now, probably today, if his hedges or is not working, we're finding out. But a CEO right now is going, man, interest rates are going up, most likely. And uh, what's that good? What if we were to see volumes, uh, if we see volumes drop by 10%? Well, that's that's the beauty of a light. Uh, so explain why that is the beauty. How, do, how does that work in a real-time world and you're bringing in real-time data though i mean you're pulling data out of your system right that's correct we're we're with a light you're able to pull um dynamic data right it's coming right out of your general ledger right out of your cap market system right out of your los and with literally a push of a button you can adjust your volume by five percent ten percent you can create whatever kind of best or worst case scenarios you want and then, in so doing, when you push the button, literally, when you push the button, um, all of that ripples right through your financial wow. statement. So you'll see the changes to your balance sheet. You'll see the changes to your statement of cash flows. You'll see uh, your P&L change. Good, bad, or indifferent, but you'll see it. That is really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about from a capital market standpoint. Once the capital markets guy, always the capital markets guy cracked me up, Ralph. We've been friends for so many years. It's so much fun to listen to you talk about this. But talk about what a capital markets person might benefit by having this. Obviously, they're playing with a position. What if this hedge underperforms, overperforms? It could have an impact on earnings. Is this a tool that will help a capital markets person? just play with the, the factors that are the variables that they have within the company? Well, there's no question that um, a light will assist a capital markets person in uh, identifying margins to a certain product up or down volume. So you could adjust, so you could do, you could do product analysis and put fact, You can do product analysis. You can do branch analysis. Um, you can play with, uh, the, you, can, you can play with the settings in terms of whether you should be long servicing or perhaps maybe you should back off of servicing. Um, there are so many features that a light brings to the table, but as important, you know, you got to figure that about 70% of a mortgage bank's financials reside with the capital markets, right? It's, right. it's all the secondary market gains, losses, hedges, all of that, correct? Correct. So a, a secondary marketing person will benefit substantially from the light. But as importantly, when you look at the cap market systems that are out there, and you know they're all out there, Compass, MyAct, mm-hmm. whatever, the capital markets P&L stops at the water's edge. It really Explain about that what you mean when you say it stops at the water's edge. Well, let's let's face it. A, the capital market side of the business does not have the full asset and liabilities of the company. Right. Right. Doesn't know the total headcount of the company. Right. Doesn't doesn't oh, know whether whether or not the, the, the firm owner owns the building or not. Right. So at the end of the day, while the P&L portion is substantial, it doesn't account for 
the total company. That's why I say it's I see. the water's edge. I see. Yeah. And so a lot of our capital markets um, vendors that have, you know, Mayak, Compass, they recognize that. They mm-hmm. say this is the answer to the things that they've been trying to do for a long time. That is really interesting. So uh, we're going to be hearing some, we have several guests coming on talking about that. Do we not? Well, we do. We have uh, Jeff Spiegel is actually from uh, oh, Spiegel. And yeah. Yeah. Jeff's, uh, uh, J- Jeff's going to be speaking um, and uh, talking to us about the accounting part of, of the business. And so this will all tie in Cheeto Schnoop, who is the, executive vice president of American Pacific of capital markets. She was the first to recognize on the capital market oh. side from a, from a customer perspective, the value of a life. Oh, wonderful. So, so do- she's going to be coming on and talking about, Oh, Gina. Yeah. I see it right here. And we're, guess doing, what? we're doing that installation as we speak. Very good. And then uh, we have uh, David Burris and David Burris is with string and string is about, a, they're a disruptor in the marketplace. They're all about, um, creating an opportunity around outsourcing, right? Reducing the cost of a mortgage bank by going to the outside and uh, trying to uh, change the dynamics of the cost side. So um, we have quite a few people coming on. I think uh, Michelle's going to be in the booth yes, with you. Yes, she is. Right after she gets done with her presentation, I got heads up. She's going to be starting here in just a few minutes. So we're going to have to get ready to listen to her. So I'm going to get her mic ready to go live here so we can start you hopefully hear her comments when she gets ready to get started so i want to make sure it looks like she's at the podium That's getting right. ready and by the way for those of you that are also uh part of light you can head over to their website we're also doing a live stream of this with mevo so the, the mevo camera which allows us to do a live stream of this and then uh, sh- uh the camera will be coming back and joining us rejoining us in the booth we had to move it up there so that we could get a closer angle uh, and, and really get a better shot at Michelle and the slides she'll be presenting. So really excited about what we're doing there. So anyway, there's so much going on at this event. Uh, the room is bustling, too. Uh, it is. David, I'm looking. I mean, it's full. There's a lot of people here. You've got, a, I mean, a good number of attendees. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we planned for this. We started planning in September and uh reaching out and um you know the mba has been very very kind to us yes um, we got marina walsh that's going to be stopping by the way that's visit. right yeah that's i right. can't wait to get her on marina this. is great isn't she no, she's wonderful i love working with marina she's just a quality person and just so smart I, you know david stevens has just done an amazing job with yes. the mba I, I just couldn't be happier i mean pete mills and marina and you know, uh, one of my dear friends, Jim Gross, just re- retired. Um, he he w- This was his conference, the accounting. I thought you were old enough for all your friends who were retired. Right? Well, <laughs> I, I feel like it, David. I feel like it. Well, it's true. I mean, there, uh, Gross did recently retire, yes. but has been one of the successful executives in the industry a little bit. So, But, I mean, I think Marina is – I'm looking forward to getting a number of comments. So, in addition – so, folks, here's what the lineup is. Ralph and I have been talking a little bit about – uh, the the event that we're at, giving a little backdrop and insights into a light. Um, again, if you're interested in having your event broadcast like this, you could welcome to contact me. I'd love to do it. Uh, I'm really excited about the partnership that we have, the friendship we have with a light. I believe in what they're doing. I think I look at so many clients and they struggle with the number one thing they struggle with 
is Financial Managers Financial Planning. So now, hello everyone. I'm David Eaton. Welcome to Alight Mortgage Innovators 2016. It's the second time we've done this event. We're really thrilled to have all of you here today. We're going to have a lot of fun. We hope it is going to be really interactive. So talk, uh, speak, ask questions. And the first housekeeping item is when you want to do that, the mic's in front of you. Tap the button. I want to be heard anymore. Tap the button again. We don't Obviously, folks, we are doing a live podcast from uh, so, uh, the event here couple in of very um, special guests. San Diego. So we've got now all Dave of you. Eaton we have doing Sarah an introduction of here, what's going on editor uh, here. So let's go listen in so from, live from the podium. The press is talking to us and listening and quoting us. So that's important for us to know. And also in the corner over there under the bright lights is Dave Licken, Licken on Lending. He's broadcasting live. He's going to be talking with some of you and Ralph Armenta. Ralph, stand and wave your hand. Ralph is going to be corralling some of you and having you go into that. So that is exciting. We are going to be auctioning an iPhone 7, raffling rather. Um, I have one. It's great. So whoever wins it will love it as much as I love mine. Uh, We're going to have a couple of breaks. We're going to feed you during the breaks. There are beverages behind you throughout the whole afternoon. Restrooms are straight out the door on the right. And I think those are all the housekeeping items I have. So our first speaker is our CEO, Michelle McGovern, and she's going to welcome us today. So thanks for coming. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I asked you to stand up, but you were just doing that. So you finally sit down. And, you know, since the front row isn't full, that means anybody who isn't in the front row is going to be called on incessantly. Okay. Any, any takers to move into the front row? Um, so I want to thank everybody for coming today early before the conference, joining us. Um, we, we, you know, this is quite special to us. We did the first one of these a year ago. Uh, it's doubled in size. Uh, the importance for us is that, you know, we're on a mission uh, at Alight to help the mortgage industry. And uh, by that, I mean, we, we want to help you figure out how to navigate the future. And the thing that we're all certain about is all the uncertainty that we constantly face. I, I'm not going to have any commentary about the recent election. I'm sure you're disappointed. Um, but I'm done with that with my husband. We, we, we had to agree to leave the room because we couldn't agree to disagree. Um, but I, I will say this. I went to the Garrett McCauley dinner. Where's Mike McCauley? There he is. Uh, and last week and you know people were already talking about what does this mean for regulation and what does it mean for rates and compliance and um, who knows what I do know is that we all have to be prepared and understanding what the financial implications of an uncertain future look like the point of this conference is to bring all of you together originators partners uh, vendors uh, innovators technology companies uh, you know, advisors, uh, you know, cap markets, GL companies, so that we can all collaborate and figure out how to navigate the future jointly and in a collaborative way. So the point of this session is not for us to talk at you for four hours. We really want participation. Uh, the, we will have notes from the sessions. All the slide de decks will be made available in the Alight Innovators uh, community. Um, just a bit about my background. Uh, I've spent the past 20 years building and running technology companies in the financial services space. Uh, I am a CPA by trade originally. 
Um, everybody always asks me, well, can you do my taxes when I tell my family? No, no I, I can't. Um, and, you know, one thing I really believe fundamentally is to, to run a great company, you have to have a strong uh, finance partner to do it or a group. You just cannot successfully navigate, in, especially in today's environment where things are moving dynamically without understanding what the financial implications are. And so we're thrilled to have you here. Um, we think you're at the core of the disruption and, and sort of elevating this in your firms. And we uh, appreciate you being here to help us um, figure it out. Um, so my thesis is this, to navigate the future, you have to understand uh, the future implications on the finances of the company in real time. The world is moving 24 by seven. The old days of an annual budget, a quarterly forecast, uh, back of the envelope, it just doesn't cut it. Um, so, you know, we're on a mission to bring the concept of literally real time, and I mean in the future, live streaming, pulling in rate environments, pulling in the cap markets data in real time so that you understand the P&L balance sheet and cash flow impact and your financial metrics on your firm. We're not there yet, and quite frankly, it would be a lot for many of you to absorb at this point. You gotta walk before you run, but that's the mission that we're on, and there's no technological reason today why that can't be done. Um, I'm very lucky to have a team of light people who are dedicated to this mission. Would you all stand up, please? Okay, we have our professional services team, our CTO, our chairman. Steve, raise your hand. There's the chairman, Steve, CTO, professional services team, product manager, business unit leader, sales, marketing. Um, the reason we're all here is it, to, to do what we're doing, we all have to collaborate internally at a light and we need to hear directly from you. So that's why we're all here and we really appreciate it. So thanks everybody, you can sit down. So let me start. I love what you guys do. This, this, this is meaningful to us, the why of what this industry does. I mean, in the end, um, when you're running a company, it's the why that really drives your business, the what you're, why you're doing what you're doing. The way you do it may change over time. The how you do it may change, but the why you're doing it is what inspires your, your firm, the people who come in every day. It inspires us. It's what's driving us to figure out how do we help the mortgage banking industry. Um, so the challenge I think we, we all face in every industry, and I'm going to, you know, we're going to have somebody from Houlihan Loki here who's going to talk about um, SaaS-based business models, which is the industry that we're in, that I'm in. In your industry, I, I attended probably, I don't know, a dozen conferences in the past year where they're talking about the millennials and what does the, what does the world look like in the future for consumer finance? And uh, how many of you have initiatives going on at your firm talking about this amongst the executive team and how you evolve from your current business model to future business models? Show of hands. And it, I'm curious to know, is this, is this something that's top three, top five in the firm or is it, Hey, when we get to it, any, any, anybody willing to answer? 
Paul? Um, yeah, I'd be you know willing to put it out there that it, it is our biggest um, investment um, that's going on today, whether it be something in the form of a direct consumer kind of platform or even our you know our um, distributed uh, retail network, uh, and even taking that same technology into our wholesale channel to uh, make life a lot better for our brokers as well. Yes, and I, I saw the recent announcement, probably maybe it was at National, where Sierra announced the kind of rollout of a significant new technology platform. Anybody else? Any others that say that it's in the top three of business objectives? No? Well, what I think is interesting about this is um, who is the consumer? Who is the target market that you're going after? And, you know, how do you reach them? What channels are you going to reach them through? Um, what are your key differentiators? I mean, you know, we're, and I ask this because this is an important, when we're talking about a light and helping you navigate the future, what you're going to see today is three different uh, sort of overviews, talking about capacity planning, branch analytics, which to us is branch channel analytics, and liquidity and cash flow management. And the reason we picked those three is as we've been out talking to firms over the course of the past year, those are the topics that people are grappling with that are very pertinent to the business. But you could argue that right behind that is liquidity management, cash flow management, branch handle, you know, what about the new channel? What about the new way to reach the consumer? And we happen to think that's very important because we've got to sort of look to the future ourselves in terms of servicing the industry. So I, I kind of take the position that, you know, we're in the world of digital transformation and that eventually every company becomes a technology company. Um, if you think about it, I mean, I spent a lot of my career selling into Wall Street firms who spent a billion dollars a year each on technology and had more computer engineers than most large scale software companies. Okay, larger than Twitter, larger than Airbnb, larger than LinkedIn, and they're in financial services. But when you walk in there, um, they'll tell you they're more like a technology company. And it's disrupting every industry. So there's no industry, and, and maybe it hasn't disrupted yours yet, your particular firm yet. But as you see platforms, you know, it's all about the data. Platforms become the prevalent way, and that's about scale and, you know, economics. So the Russell Reynolds group does a survey every year, 2,000 executives, and they ask them um, by industry which ones think they're going to have massive disruption from technology. And if you look at the list, uh, media, I love this one. So during the election, you know, the news uh, reporters were reporting on the tweets. So Twitter is ahead of the news sources. Um, Google and Facebook and Amazon are, are actually really the new media companies. And you talk about telco. So AT&T buying Time Warner now. Why? Because they, they're, they're being displaced by Google and Amazon who are laying their own fiber and becoming their own telco companies. So, I mean, it's not, it, it's the big guys are being displaced too. And, you know, if you look at on the next list, consumer financial services, ranked high in the industry that I'm in, technology.
So there, you look down the list, there isn't an industry that you can probably think of that, it, that isn't, didn't make this you know, sort of top level list. So I think one of the things that I find most interesting at this point in, in being in the tech business, and I think this impacts the mortgage business uh, in a major way is, um, customers are connected 24 by seven. We all have phones, the phone's a computer. There's live streaming customer feedback and customers want to do business the way they want it, when they want it, and get the information how they want it. And so how do you navigate that? And you know, we're, we're at the center of how do we do that for you because we watch this happening and we're looking at it saying, well, gee, is retail really the way this industry is going to continue to go? How do we help this industry look at the economics of the business? It's all about the data. So at this point, what are the economics of the future value chain of the mortgage industry? So this is a key aspect of what we're trying to bubble up in our application. So when, when you see today uh, Jared and Colin going through a light and the three topics that I mentioned, you're going to see us bubbling up the economics of three different major areas of a mortgage firm for you to be able to make decisions. For you as the finance professionals and firm owners to be able to make forward-looking business decisions as this information is streaming in at you. Um, I'd love to go through an industry of one that people have, hasn't changed in 50 years. And I think this is really important because, you know, at Alight, we're constantly looking at what do we have to do to reimagine our future as a tech company. And I want to mention that when I started in the technology business, I, it was big, large-scale systems, many, many man months and sales cycles, 18 months to implement, tens and twenties of millions of dollars on-premise solutions. That's been completely disrupted. Now it's SaaS, get it done quickly, show me value in 90 days, lots of money spent R&D on R&D. None of us are beyond it. So, you know, if you think about the automotive industry, cars are cars, we, you know, we've all been buying them for many, many years. How many people here take Uber on a regular basis? All of us. So it's very interesting because they got two um, CEOs of the big the big car companies, talking about the transformation of the auto industry from selling cars to measuring and tracking miles. Because Uber is disrupting the automotive industry, an industry that hasn't changed in, for as long as I can remember. Look at the top 10 re reasons that riders choose Uber. I mean, a billion rides since 2009. None of those say because I like nice cars. And what about the car? What if a car? So lots of money is being plowed into autonomous technology. And that's going to transform the way people get from place A to place B. If a car can drive itself and you can be productive going to work, if the car can be used multiple times for multiple people, who needs to own a car? pick me up at my office, bring me home, do my errands. If I didn't have to go on the errands, that would be even better. But um, 
So, you know, th this, this, this transformation is happening. And if you would have said five years ago that the automotive industry was going to sort of start having these kind of revelations, I would have said, frankly, I doubt it, but it's happening. So now I ask again, what does the future uh, of, you know, customer consumer finance look like? And, you know, I, I think this is real important. And, you know, I've been to a number of the sessions and we've talked about, you know, at, at the MBA where we're talking about technology and millennials and so forth. But I think in the next, my guess is, you know, two to three years, there's going to be more and more momentum around um, the sort of consumerization, automation, uh, online consumer direct in the mortgage business. And, you know, there are people, and what I'm excited about is you're going to hear from Houlihan Loki, you're going to hear from Accenture, uh, and you're going to hear, and some of you may be aware, there are a lot of new players coming into the space using the cloud-based SaaS business model to help you get to consumers cost-effectively. And I think that is an amazing thing. And it's one of the reasons we wanted to get people together because this is, this is what I'm saying is that we're all in this industry trying to figure out ways to help you do what? Put people in homes, which is an amazing accomplishment. And um, I'm excited when you hear, uh, you know, Alex from Houlihan Loki talk to you about what, what these companies are doing to help you get to the consumer. So, you know, what we're doing, our part in all of this equation is our applications are helping you forecast the future, manage the future of your company by doing real-time scenarios. Why is that important? Because we all have to have a plan A, B, and C. We, we can't have one plan. We got to have many plans. We got to be able to run many plans instantaneously, simultaneously, and collaborate across the executive team of the company and with the business unit owners. I mean, if people are running a branch, they're running a small business within your business. If they see the numbers and they understand the economics of the business, people have ideas. They've got to see what the numbers look like and understand the impact on the company. Importantly, we've got to see it before we make the decisions. Um, I distinctly remember during the financial crisis, um, you know, my, I was running another tech company and it was large scale uh, deals. And the sales guy told me, turn on the phone, Michelle, and there's the news flashes about Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. And I quickly went, you know, sinking feeling going, there's my entire sales pipeline flashing in front of me on the news. And then sitting there thinking, now what do I do? And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a devastating feeling and we weathered the storm. But, you know, I fundamentally believe as I started this, we're on a mission. And the mission is, real-time financial analysis so that you can see this ahead of when you get caught, ahead of when things happen. And how we're doing it, and importantly, and I really appreciate all of the people you see down at the bottom, the GL providers and ops monitoring and LOS and cap markets and the MBA who's been extremely helpful to us. We integrate with all of these solution providers because we don't want to be a silo we don't want to be a cloud solution disconnected from all the other important aspects that you're using to run your business. And we do this in, in real time. And it's a process. And many of you customers who are here in the room, 
you're working and collaborating with us on this. But our goal is that you say, the next year when we see you here, that you say, I, I just couldn't run my firm without it. It's what I log into every day. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my device. And here's, here's some of the names of people who we consider mortgage innovators because the reality of it is, those of you who are in the room here, you're early adopters. I hope you feel good about it. It's true. When we started this three years ago, people said, who's the light? Where'd you guys come from? Barb Lamb, Barb Lamb, stand up. Barb. <laughs> Thanks, Barb. Barb, I, I have to give Barb so much credit. We started this process with JMAC Lending and Barb seeing us and giving us feedback. And she, I'd like to say she kind of shepherded us on our way and was instrumental in giving us feedback from a finance professional's point of view, working with many firm owners to navigate the future of the mortgage industry for many years. And we've had that kind of feedback from all of our customers. It's immensely valuable. You are the early adopters. You are the innovators. You are setting the course for the future of the mortgage industry in terms of how to measure, how to manage, how to monitor. And I love uh, Joe Garrett and Mike McCauley. Down at the bottom of the newsletter, what does it say, Mike? Yeah. And that comes out every Sunday, and I see every Sunday when I look at it, I see that down at the bottom of their newsletter. And, and Joe and Mike have been instrumental in introducing us to a number of people in the mortgage industry to say, hey, you, you really need to be using a light to manage your company, monitor, measure. And the last thing I'll leave you with is this. You know, digital transformation is here. You, you may not be diving in yet, but it starts at the top. And I happen to believe that finance professionals uh, and executives who help sort of bring ideas to the forefront with firm owners and executive teams, it starts with you guys. You understand the numbers. You see the numbers probably better than anyone else. Um, you, and what we're trying to bubble up is the economics for, of your business. And importantly, it's not an all or nothing. You have to decide where to start. You can leverage partners like all of us in this room. And I will say speed matters. Uh, and, and that's true for all of us. So I wanna now take any questions before I introduce our guest speaker. Uh, anybody have any questions for me? Any comments, any feedback, any I disagree? Disagreeing is fine. Okay, guys, <laughs> how about standing up? Let's stand up, everybody. Stand up, get some energy going here. You know, my next life, I said, I, I told my kids um, that I'm gonna be a stand-up comedian. And you know what they said? First, you gotta learn to be funny, Mom. <laughs> that is true. Um, so I, I have a question. How many people are in online consumer direct in the room? Two, three? How many people have 50 or more branches? How many people have a dedicated um, a chief technology or information officer in the firm? Very helpful. Okay. Well, I won't, I won't ask you any more questions now, but I will be back.
So let me do this. Now I want to introduce a guest speaker and I'm thrilled to have him, Bruce Spowart from Accenture. And Bruce is the Senior Manager for Accenture Credit Services and he's responsible for business process outsourcing. Prior to joining Accenture, he was a VP of Sales for First American Real Estate Solutions and CoreLogic where he worked with the largest firms on people, process, and technology. And prior to that, um, Bruce was with ChoicePoint, now uh, formerly LexisNexis, or now NexisLexis, the world's largest public uh, record data company. Bruce is here, we're thrilled. Um, I am a big um, believer in leveraging partners and outsourcing to get scale and to improve the economics. And um, we, we've been talking with Accenture about how to create more awareness for that in the marketplace. Uh, and again, I think he'll take you through where, where there are opportunities. Bruce? Please welcome Bruce. Okay, everybody, we've been listening to Michelle McGovern talking about what the, the, what the, what's happening in the industry. She'll be stepping down and joining us here in just a minute. Looking forward to having her comments come in. So as we get her seated in the booth and we uh, end up moving some things around, that'll be awesome. But uh, what I like to do is just uh, begin to talk about where this everything is going. I think one of the things that stood out in uh, Michelle's presentation to me was that Michelle was talking about things like Uber. And you listen to how our industry, I mean, the number of industries that have been around forever that are being absolutely changed forever is uh, it's happening before us. And at the rate of change is another thing that's just extraordinary. Michelle, good to have you here with us. We appreciate you coming into the booth and inviting me to be here. It's really great. Let's make sure we got the right mic. We got you on right here. I think we do. So go ahead. Let's trust that mic one more time. I did. All right, good. You're hearing, Ralph? So let's get into some of the things that you were talking about. And I think we're going to get that mic as close as we possibly can. That'd be great. All right. So, Michelle, uh, you talked about technology disruption. A light is a disruptor. Do you think that others besides finance professionals will use a light in mortgage banking? Yes. We expect to be... CEOs, the cap market heads, the heads of operations, branch managers, and many others in the firm who influence and make key business decisions about firm direction and profitability. All of those are potential users of the light. Go ahead, Rob. As a follow-up question, Michelle, CEOs are busy. You're a CEO. Does a light package the information a CEO needs to run a company today? Yeah, there's specific and custom dashboards for CEOs that anticipate the kind of metrics that CEOs, the less is more, get to the point kind of dashboards that a CEO needs. Great. David. You know, Michelle, you've looked at a lot of different industries, and we're talking a little bit softer here so that we uh, don't disrupt the what's going on behind us here at, the, at this really exciting event. But talk about your perspective as it relates to this industry, or to technology generally, you've seen a lot of change and you're fairly new at the mortgage side of it. And I would love to have you share with our listeners, those that are in the mortgage industry, as most of what our listeners are, as to what you are, what you've seen as far as where we stand. We, we talk about automation being the abacus. 
right. and within our industry. So give us some of your thoughts as looking from the outside in and then what you've seen coming in. Well, you know, it's, is, it's interesting. I think it's like a lot of other industries. It seems slow to start, but it get, you get the snowball effect. Right. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I spend a lot of my time selling into and working with large investment banks and asset managers who, you know, 20 years prior to that, they didn't look like a technology company either. So, it, it, you know, it's slow adopters. And then they move quickly, and then it seems like you look back and say, well, of course this was the right thing to do. And, you know, frankly, I think that some of that's going to happen in the mortgage industry as well. And I think, you know, the interesting thing for the mortgage industry, it will benefit from the fact that the cost of entry because of cloud-based business models, uh, it's easier and more cost-efficient to adopt technology now than it was 10 years ago. And I think that provides some real exciting opportunities for the industry. Talking about cloud-based systems and how that's impacting the future. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, where do you see that going in, uh, in, as we, as we, in just a few years out and five years out? Well, I mean, in, in the mortgage industry, I mean, there are companies like Velocify and Roostify and Blend Labs, yes. all of whom are focused on how do you get to the consumer? How do you deliver that sort of customer experience that you know consumers are looking for? And they're they're all cloud you know SaaS based business models, which means you know mortgage firms can work with them and readily adopt the technology into the workflow without a huge upfront investment, which to me you know makes it it, it, it just a, a phenomenal business opportunity for mortgage originators. When you look at transformation and it's happening at the rate it's happening here the slowest area that seems that has been adopting to this transformation is in the area of finance and your product is really giving bringing every company that sees it gets it and and embraces it to the point where they can anticipate things at an unusual rate talk about that a little bit ralph was talking about it before you you started talking about i love your thoughts you know i think the um like I said, I think you can't run a successful company without a great finance team, finance professional. And, you know, I think there hasn't been a solution in the past. So finance professionals have had to piece it together, you know, Excel, whatever methods they've been able to. With, with what we're doing, we kind of enable them and also allow them to bubble up very broadly at the firm so that they can show, you know, the rest of the organization what are the economics of our business? How are we going to navigate? Why do we make decisions here? Now it's our, as opposed to, hey, finance came up with those numbers. I don't own those numbers. No more. Mm-hmm. And this, this kind of changes the whole collaboration dynamic uh, of the enterprise. And I think that's probably one of the most exciting things about what we're doing right now. I, we're going to be having a number of guests come in here. Jeff Spiegel, we've got Sheeta coming in. I would love to have your perspective on what you're seeing some of these companies uh, how, those that are beginning to, the lights are coming on and they're starting to adopt your technology. One, a Cheeto is, I, I understand, is just, in, in, uh, just coming on board. So I'm looking forward to getting her thoughts on that. I, I love that one phrase that it says, uh, let, uh, uh, don't brag, basically. let another man's mouth praise you, yeah, not yeah. that of your own issue. I can't wait to get her thoughts on this. But companies like this that are taking this on, what's the one common denominator that you're saying, the need that we're meeting is what? The, the need we're meeting is their, their desire and drive to have the 
uh, visibility into the future uh, future financials of the company. And I, I really do believe, the, you know, they in their own right, these are early adopters. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're a new entrant in the marketplace, you know, a couple of years. Um, we started slowly and, you know, working with a couple of the big firms who were instrumental in feedback. But now you see, you know, everybody who, who sees what we're doing saying, you really need to work with the light. You, you know, there isn't anybody else doing it. And what is it going to do? It's going to allow you to sort of, Hey, you want to sleep at night knowing you've run scenarios, you've got the visibility. If rates do go up, I know what that's going to look like. If some other channel opportunity happens, I know what the impact is. What you decide to do with it, you know, sort of directionally up to you. But. Right. Do you think, this is an interesting question that just kind of popped in my head. Do you think this is going to change how, who is going to be a CEO? Because up at this point, we've had CEOs that are very charismatic but don't necessarily the most disciplined at looking at the numbers is this, could this, what your product does because it empowers them to look at it. Are they going to have to make adjustments in how they're running their businesses, how they're going to have to engage with the numbers in a bigger way. I mean, I'm just looking at the dynamics of what this could mean to CEOs, just CEOs. Well, you know, I, in terms of, does it change the dynamic? I think it changes the, um, the sort of uh, level of visibility, ownership, collaboration, and the CEO dashboard, which boils it down. I mean, a lot of CEOs, Talk myself included, are yeah. salespeople. Yeah, they are. I mean, that's what, what we do. That's what you have to do. That's, <laughs> you what, to, that's, that's what you role. are. That's what I am. That's what you do, yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, you need to understand what are the implications of selling or not selling what right. are, you know what are the growth potentials for your company and that's what i'm that's what i'm really want to focus in on because i think a lot of ceos say well I, that's not in my wheelhouse yeah. that's not what i'm skilled at that's not what i'm well, naturally the thing is i use the, the light to run a light so mm-hmm. i actually use the CEO Good. dashboard myself. so that, that's a great example so how has this impacted how you're you're managing a light uh, because, compared to other companies before you had this because, tool yeah be, when i didn't have it got blindsided yeah and I'm pretty good with numbers, but if you don't have the ability to run a, a scenario and understand the ripple effect mm-hmm. of your sales projections all the way through all the cost structures yeah. of your business, um, then you, you know, you, you don't know what the implications are. Perfect. And so, you know, the, I, I use it every day. Um, you using it, literally using it every day. My board uses it. Your board of directors uses it. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, that's not one I did not anticipate. Yeah, investors, board members. Um, so you're giving access absolutely across the board all the way up to the people that you're accountable as and the you, CEO. You, 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 know, you customize the access based on role type. Right. So, you know, the board has a board view. The C- I have the CEO view. The you know, exec team has the exec team view. You but can't accomplish that with a spreadsheet. No. Now and you can't run scenarios and understand. And you know what's interesting to me in, in the mortgage business is, you know, so many of the organizations we work with have many, many retail mm-hmm. organizations, many branches, and you know, the the firm is the summation of all the br- the branches. And so when you're trying to grow a business and understand what you know, what is the branch performance? What's the impact if they do or don't perform on my overall organization? I think this just opens up all kinds of you know, great ideas because when people see the numbers, most of the time people in companies, my belief is this, they have a lot of great ideas. They just don't understand what the implications are. And now we're showing them. Talk about a little bit. You are, you have been in sales. You are very personal outgoing. So would you consider 
finance and diving into numbers your natural sweet spot, or is this a learned skill? Uh, well, it was a learned skill. Yeah, yeah that's what I suspect. Knowing you as I have now, I got to know you. I can yeah, imagine that. It was a learned skill. <laughs> it's definitely but, me for me too. But you know, I think um, it's you know whether whether you like it or not. Right. If you're running a company, you have to understand the numbers. Right. But they need to be understood contextually so that you can make important business decisions, not have somebody do a data download. And you know, I think that's what we do really well is we give contextual meaning to business forward-looking business decisions and um, so that people can make informed choices. A lot of people think that I'm dealing with this, so it's, I'm, it's like I'm working in QuickBooks or I'm having to look at finance. That's not what no. this is. That's no. the most important thing I want to drive home. No. You and I have a similar personality. We get along real well. Yeah. We're, we're out in the sales. We yeah. love meeting people and working with that. But this is not getting into QuickBooks. It's not no. looking at that aspect no. of it. What we're doing, what you're doing, what we can do now is with our personality types where this is not a natural skill, it's an acquired yeah. skill, one that is essential to running businesses in this ever-increasing dynamic world. This is a tool that you can use. And the learning curve, what is the learning curve for the average CEO to pick this up and really get into it? Yeah. Any ideas? Uh, for the average CEO. It, for yourself. It, it, I mean, yeah. you, you, you no, had. No, no, no. I mean, the thing is, when you see the dashboards, it, you know, it speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah. It's like what the top five metrics. What's the cost to originate? You know, what, how's my, how are my branches performing? Right. Um, you know, so we have the dashboards already configured, understanding how the mortgage industry works, understanding what a CEO of a mortgage firm is going to want to see. So they can log into their phone and say, how, how are things looking? What's mm-hmm. the future look like? Without a lot of fanfare, without getting into the rows and rows and columns of numbers. That <laughs> I think that's the thing. Wanna... Yeah. And uh, I'm also have dyslexia. So seeing columns and columns of numbers, yeah. they just start yeah, moving blurring. all over the place and blurring in front of me. But this brings it for, and the graphic features that this has, that picture is worth a thousand words. Talk a little bit about how you bring the graphical representation of the numbers forward. I love those screens, yeah. Jeff. Well, you know, what, when we, um, like I mentioned, we, we've got a pre-configured set of right. dashboards but then, you know, when we work with each firm, they say, well, you know, in, in particular, we want to dive into and have some um, sort of comparis- comparative metrics. And interestingly, one of the things we think is interesting is, you know, the MBA and Stratmore group right. put out a peer group review. And some of the customers who are in those peer groups say, would you load my peer group review data mm. in as a scenario so that I can compare myself against my peer group as I'm running scenarios? And we think that's a real interesting, great opportunity for the industry to see mm-hmm. on an ongoing, real-time basis, how do I compare? Because that data is invaluable. And so that's the kind of thing where I just feel like we're sort of bringing together a lot of the great things that are going on in this industry right now. And will it help kind of what I think fast forward a lot of thinking and conversations? Because if you see the numbers and right. you understand the implication – I think, frankly, for most of us, it makes us um, feel like more certain about taking action. That's a great way to put it. And I think that's what this is all about. It's taking action yeah. in, a, in, a, in anticipation or advance of real, real scenario planning. And I think that's the biggest impact of it. Something we've always preached. Right. I've, I've been preaching for years. But the spreadsheets is that I built and I ran my business. And I heard Corky Watts say a long, long time ago, you know, managed by the numbers, managed yeah. by the numbers. Boy, that, I, when I was personally guaranteeing all those warehouse lines, I figured that I got to manage by the numbers or I could be in trouble. But even when I was doing everything was spreadsheet based back then. 
and has been still for most companies. But right. if you can have a real dynamic time where you're bringing in data that is specific to your company and it's empirical data. And, and that's what I want to get to next. Talk yeah. a little bit about the, how you're bringing in the empirical data to really when you're doing pl- scenario planning, Michelle has been so much, well, I got these numbers from accounting. I got these numbers from, you know, secondary market and risk scenarios, yeah. but nothing's n- it, their input is empirical data. So yeah. talk about how you're bringing all this data in. It's brilliant. Well, so, so one thing is that, you know, we, our application has codified the business relationships between the various um, value chain right, right. segments of the mortgage industry. Secondly, we integrate and pull in. Importantly, you said you were going to do something. What really happened? We pull that information in BDL. Says, Here's what actually happened. We pull in the sales funnel information from your LOS. Uh, we pull in the rate shock information and servicing evaluation from your cap market vendor. Why do we do that? Well, because to run a company, it is an integrated network. Right. That's what your your company is. So we pull that in, and importantly, that information can start to inform future uh, scenarios predictively. Right. You say, well, I think the, pa- the past, the future is going to look somewhat like the past. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to run a couple of scenarios and say, if things continue on that same trend, here's, here's what the financial implications are. Very excitingly, um, at some time second half of next year, we're going to get in, be getting into more machine learning. Really? Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Can you share? I mean, yeah, that, yeah. Well, do we have just, to make the whole audience sign an NDA or something? No, <laughs> <laughs> no but just the logical extension of what we're doing is that you've got all this data about your business right? and you want to understand, well, give me some algorithms that tell me over historical periods of time wow. based on what happens to rates and my volumes and my cost structures, give me some predictive analytics on my own firm. And then more broadly, give me the predictive analytics based on the bigger macro. Wow. So, you know, that's something very exciting. And as I mentioned in my earlier that's a discussion, game changer. Yeah. Yeah, got to you got to walk before you run. So you got to start. You got to got to get the application in. Get start. Um, you know, getting the historical data that you can then right. use for the future. Michelle, what I mean, we have to wrap up this segment because we've got other guests that you've invited to come into the booth, and we're real excited about interviewing them as well. Wanted to get what are the most important things you would like those that are con- that are never heard of you to know about you, and what are the things that. Uh, those that are considering you, you, you feel need to be? Well, as I mentioned, we're, we're on a mission to help this industry. Mm-hmm. And what this industry does is at the heart of why we're driven to do what we're doing. And, and what we do is we help you uh, run your firm so that you can figure out how to put more people in homes. And, you know, in the end, all business is measured by numbers. Right. Even right. if you're in sales, yeah, you're measured by numbers. <laughs> you're as good as um, your last numbers. You're as good as your last numbers. So, you know, we, we help mortgage firms plan, right. manage, forecast the future. And, you know, our goal is it's real time, just like the wow. world we live in. I'm so honored to be here doing this from your event. It's a real blessing oh, to be here. Thank you very much. It's, we, we appreciate, you know, this great opportunity. Thrilled that you could be here. And um, I, I, I remember you told me you got to read the book about, why yes yes i read it you Great did book and then it yes. starts with why yes starts with why simon Sinek. Yes. yeah and so that's a great way to end this why 
in, I mean, you talked about it, but what is the biggest why you would tell the audience we we exist because, and our why is, what would you? Our, our why is you, to navigate the future. You, you've got it. You've got to be living in a real-time world right. where you can see the implications, and that transcends every industry. I, I mean, we're in mortgage banking, we're in mining, we're in tech, we're going to be moving into pharma and wow. telco next year. All industries have the problem. Yeah, we're driven they do. to help management teams better manage their companies. That's the that's the why of what we do. You're known by the company you keep. And the people you've hired in this company, Ralph, we've known for years, and uh, we always give Ralph a bad time, but you have surrounded yourself, Michelle, with some really good people. Oh, I, I'm, it's I mean, all about the people, Dave. How, I, you know. I mean, we, I keep saying it. This is the last question, last yeah, question, yeah. but I mean, I, I mean, I could interview yeah, you yeah. for just a long, long time. <laughs> I well, love to talk. You know, <laughs> well, I, you love talking. You're passionate about the company, yeah. and you really care about the people, and I you do. care about your mission. And it comes through. And then you've got to get the people that share that. How have you transferred that? And what is it that we got Dave Eaton here that just cares as much as you do? And it's, it's across the whole organization. Well, Dave, I thank you for asking that. You know, one of the, it's really important when you have a vision and a mission that you spend your time personally talking to the, I love talking to new candidates. Yeah. I love talking to customers. If I could spend all my time doing that and nothing else, I'd be a very You'd happy, happy person. <laughs> that's good. And, you know, so as much as I can, that's what I spend my time doing. But so does the rest of the Alight team. You hire great people, and then they hire great people. That's how it works. And you have to be devoted to that. If you compromise on that, then you can't, you can't meet, you know, satisfy your customers. So, you know, when people meet a people from a light, and I love when they say what you said, wow, they're such great people. They're really so devoted are. to I know. And they're that's, fun that's to hang with them. Yeah. And they're intelligent. I mean, one thing is to go out and have a good time. Yeah. But then you start engaging yeah. them and you get into the time. They know your product. Oh, yeah. And, and they're passionate about it. Right. I mean, Ralph, the reason we're sitting here is this guy ran me down at a conference that says, no, 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 Dave. I said, I got to go to a meeting. He says, you've got to hear. You've always talked about financial modeling. You've got to right. hear. You've got to meet Michelle. He, over and over. I said, oh, finally, I just say, well, come on. Let's go over to the Mortgage Great Collaborative event. <laughs> let's go over to <laughs> – we said we're going to bring you over, over to the Mortgage Collaborative event. And uh, I said, you can talk to a few people there. So he chased down a whole bunch of people. But you have surrounded yourself. Kudos, Michelle. Thank you so much for taking thank a few you minutes. So you got a lot of customers out here. We need to let you go to meet with them and talk to them. But thank you so thank much. You. Really appreciate being Michelle, here. Great event. All right. Yeah. All right. Bye. Well, folks, we've had Michelle McGovern in here talking to us and about the event. We're really honored to be sitting here and doing this podcast from this event. We're taking a break in the background. A lot of people are uh, <laughs> they're having to raise the curtain. We're just too loud in here. I, I've always said that. I always said that. David, we can hear you across the room. Ralph, when you listen to some of Michelle's comments, what are some of the things that kind of just came out that came out uh, substantially was – how we are changing the way CEOs are looking at business. Oh, David, look who just came. Well, look who. Mike McCauley. Come on in, Mike. Good to see you, your oh friend. My Here's the, these are headphones you can put in your ear and so you can hear us talking. And then, uh, But anyway, Mike, kind of another legend in the industry. He's been around forever, Mr. Warehouse. And uh, there, how's, how's that? Is that? You can adjust the volume on that headset right there if you want to turn that up or down or whatever you want. Oh, good. Well, I've got to turn your mic up. I shut it down after mic. Good. Okay. Good. Anyway. <laughs> <I'm great. laughs> 
Mike, sure. it's it's you, you guys. Seriously, folks, if you don't know Mike McCauley, you uh, I, I can't imagine that. But Mike, you've been in this industry for how many years? You know, uh, if I was aware, I was wondering for 23 years. Wow. 23 years, and I've been doing consulting with Garrett McCauley, with Joe Garrett, since about 2009. Great. Good. Joe, Joe is just, I love Professor Joe. He's just, <laughs> he is such a great pontificator. That's what I would like to do. I had, I wrote a lot of some of our listeners in advance sure. and that are listening to this. And I said, what questions would you like me to ask Mike? And so the first one, of course, is the election. It's a big to- topic, what's going on. Uh, did this election take you by surprise as it did seem like it took so many? So just to be clear, Dave, we, I didn't get to see these questions in advance. No, you did uh, not. That's exactly right. So this is fresh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, completely. Definitely took me by surprise. I mean, I think the whole consensus consensus out there was that Hillary was going to run away with it. I think we all remember how, what was it, uh, four years ago right. it was over and pretty fast, right? It was. By 7, and the, seven Central, it was over for Romney. So, uh, yeah, this one definitely took, took me by surprise, and uh, I was out in Berkeley, California when it happened. So. Oh, wow. So you, that, 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 that's the epicenter of the reaction. Yeah, it was, it was pretty sad. It was interesting because it was very quiet for most of the time, and then it got very noisy. Yeah, so, yeah. I heard the helicopters that, that night. Yeah, I, you know, this thing took a lot of us by surprise. And um, looking at uh, the markets and the reaction even today, we're watching right. pretty significant uh, – uh, correction or more interest rates continue to march higher. Your thoughts about a Fed rate hike in December? It seems almost certain. At least the markets are telegraphing that. That's what it seems like, and it seems like they're probably going to get on with it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I think, that, to my mind, just uh, we actually had our, our client dinner last week. We had Doug Duncan. Oh, I love Doug. Doug. Yeah, great. he's great. Yeah, Doug really is from my job. hometown of Fergus Falls, North Dakota. Really? Yeah, we're both from the same oh. town. He's a lot younger than I am, so we are. Uh, we did not get to get to know each other uh, you, when our yeah. younger days. You, Doug, and the Bakken Fields. Yeah, 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 no kidding. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it, not bad. We have family that have land in the Bakken Fields, so yeah. a bunch of poor farmers did all right. So anyway, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think Doug's take on a lot of that too. I think he, he spoke for a lot of folks in the room, just that there's a lot of implications across the whole economy, but it just clearly seems like we, I think the day we were there, if you all remember, it started out that, uh, the, the futures market was off by 500 points That's right. that evening. Yeah. And then the following morning we came in and everything seemed to be, you know, the, I think the, the market reacting. actually rallied. Yes. I think earlier today the Dow hit a, a new high. I don't know if it ended that way, but it certainly hit. It wouldn't like surprise that. me. This, and I think when you look at it, I mean, after all, he's talking about infrastructure. Right. He's talking about exactly. construction. And that's going to put a lot of people back to work. Right. So you look at P&E ratios and you look at where things are at from that standpoint. And you go, oh, you know what? There may be some more lift in yeah. this market. Yeah, and I think that was what Doug was. Doug nailed it pretty well, as usual. Doug's pretty much. Yeah. I don't know if you ever knew Doug. Actually, was two years running was the National uh, Business Economics uh, Association's best forecast. Two yes, years yes, running, so he's yeah. trying for number three. But sure enough, he nailed it. And I think uh, I think we're seeing it with rates, and it's going to be interesting. I think you know you and I talk about this stuff a lot. What happens when the refis go away? Exactly. Right. And uh, you know maybe this is it. I mean, I'm, we're sitting here right now at this Alight conference and. You know, like the kind of organization that helps you, gives you the tools to figure out, well, what if, what changes, what, you know, what if rates do go up? We were just hearing a speaker talk about that. That's exactly the way everyone ought to be thinking about it. But, let, you know, if rates go, go ahead. up, Mark, yeah. isn't an R market coming back? I mean, we haven't seen a really robust R market. So we talk about fixed rates, rates go up. Oh, my gosh, that's going to change the, the volume spectrum. Um, my way of thinking of it is it's just going to bring – three ones back, five ones back, seven one arms back. 
And so we talk about a reduction in the refi market, but is there really going to be a reduction in the refi market when we see, you know, a five one arm at 1.3%? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fair point. I think, uh, Arms clearly do well in a rising rate market. It, it seems to me, though, that I mean, the consumer still is getting historically low rates. These rates are real low rates, even at, even with the bump up that we're seeing now by historical standards. And I think the consumer still wants the fixed rate loan. So I, my opinion, I don't know what you think, Dave. You've been through this a while, too. I mean, how much more – it seems there's a lot more room to run before it ever the arm becomes attractive yeah, to the consumer. I, I, I'm not anticipating the arm coming back quite as quickly. I think there's some – there, you can start building an argument. We, we, it, well, it's how far we go up. I think there's going to be, there's more and more talk that I'm a podcast junkie, so I love listening to everyone. I think this is going to be a one and done potential. A scenario is developing a one and done scenario mm-hmm. that if we go up a quarter point, at least they have something in the tool chest. Should we have any economic stumbling that, yeah. that I think that we could actually find it. So if we have a one and done for 2017, there is no R market need really for any R market because rates are still at a good, right. really good level. Um, something that I want to get, unless you want to ask another question on that, Ralph, what I wanted to do is get back to something that you alluded to. You're here at the Alight Conference. Mm-hmm. There's a good relationship between you and Joe and this group, as I have here. I want to hear a little bit about what you, your thoughts about the Alight product, what it can do uh, for companies. Yeah, so I just bumped into uh, Michelle McGovern a little bit earlier on the way in, and uh, we were talking about the first time I met Michelle. Was, I was, at this, matter of fact, it was at this AFM conference a few years ago down in Boca Raton, and we had some real sharp uh, CFOs. Uh, we remember Mike Fontaine was oh, up yeah. on stage, yes. and he was talking about the budgeting process, budgeting and financial modeling. Right. I, was, I was talking about it from our perspective that, you know, we've always been big advocates to that to clients. And Michelle came walking up there with uh, Jared Huff came up as well at the time and uh, just said, hey, this is like right up our alley. This is the kind of stuff we do. And it's interesting because, you know, we run into, we talk about this a lot, we see so few clients who actually do this. I was just talking to Glenn so Hetty. So true is that. Glenn Hetty, Warehouse Lender, you know, guy I've known for a lot of years. Is talking, Glenn here? Glenn's here. Oh, I'd love Glenn's to here. see him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he's Great shy. Guy. He's afraid. Of I know. He is He is so shy. He gets one of me. He goes, don't bring the mic. Don't bring the yeah, mic. Yeah. 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 And he, anyways, we were just talking about the yeah. fact when a lot of times we were we would be lending to somebody and they get in a cash flow problem and they come back and say, hey, can I get out? Uh, can you know, can I... Can you guys make me some advances? Right. Can you not you know, can you delay your interest bill, various things? And so the first reaction, our, our immediate thing out of it is, well, I'd like to work with you, but how about a cash forecast? And these guys couldn't even do a Great cash forecast. Point. Great so, point. I mean, that's an extreme example, but I, I think what we find so often is that we're talking about today, you're asking a valid question. What happens with rates? What happens with the election? Well, uh, Michelle was just making a point a few minutes ago. You know, what are the scenarios? She's sitting there with her old business, and Lehman Brothers is going down the tubes. You're looking on TV. Well, what do you do? And I think that's a good example. I think where, we, where we've been big fans of a light is if, they don't, if you don't have some kind of a budget. We get too often, Dave, guys will say to us, yeah. um, uh, you know, you tell me what happens to rates, and I'll tell you what happens to profits. Well, that's not the right answer. Mm-hmm. And the right answer is, tell me what happens to rates. I'll try a couple of scenarios, see what happens with it. And based on that, let's see what the earnings are. And I think we've really gotten a few of our clients here who've been able to say, yeah, I was working spreadsheets before, and it gets complicated with the spreadsheets and getting one little thing changed here to get it to carry through and not right. make mistakes, tying it together. I haven't seen a client yet who hasn't tried on light and liked it. Yeah, immediately. It's one of those things. In fact, you guys, early on when I had my mortgage company, I, you know, I, was, I was in Southern California. I remember you. Joe is a, you. had a great job of just influencing and mentoring me along the way yeah. at different times, more through his, what he published 
out there, but it's know your numbers. And he, he has been an absolute, he's been beating on that nail yep. forever in this industry. Let's talk about some of the things with the time we have, some of the things that you guys are working on that you're excited about. Uh, again, Joe's so colorful. I mean, I, I appreciate people that are authentic and speak it right. And there's not anyone who does that better than uh, the Joe. Joe is just, he, he's real. And I love that. So what are the things that most concern you about the industry that you're focusing on? And then what are the things that you go from an optimistic standpoint where you go, I'm really excited about what? I got a bunch of questions that were submitted to me around that. So go ahead. Let's get your, those two aspects of it. Yeah. So I, I, I think from, from our end, what concerns me more is, you know, I I may sound like a broken record on it, but what are you preparing for the downturn? Yeah. And uh, I I think in the last cycle, we did a lot of work around people. We tend to get a lot of phone calls from mortgage bankers when they're not making money. Yeah. So why am I not making money? How can I be more efficient? We love that kind of business. Yeah. Because I mean, it's the most rewarding thing that we do uh, at all. And uh, often I, the last cycle, when I was helping people do that, you know, you're, you're, you're going through you, they pay good money and we go through the presentation, work it out, nice written report, a lot of information back behind it. And then all of a sudden a refi wave starts up again and they don't even, you know, they, you can't even get them on the phone to go over the report. They've exactly already paid right. you. Yeah. And uh, so we found a kind of, it, it's, you know, it's a Warren Buffett thing. You know, when, when the tide comes back out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Yeah, I think so that's great. sort of where we may be now. So, yeah. We try to get people to think ahead to what could go wrong, what rates are back. And I personally, I, I think that's the biggest thing most rewarding to us is helping people think. Of, Light's one of those tools. We have a lot of practical business experience. Tools like Motivity that help them measure. Oh, I love Motivity. Yeah. 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 There's so many good tools out there, and a lot of folks just don't do that. So what we really like to do is help people figure those kinds of things Let's out. look at that just a little bit. Let's dive into that a little bit different. When you look at some of the deeper aspects of where people are needing help, I agree with you. You, you mean, when people are in a panic, it's, it's like the guy that gets a bad health report. So he gets out, he loses some weight, and then he stops going to the doctor, and we slide back into bad habits. The things that you guys are really focusing on is why I know one of the things that Joe writes about is the, the numbers, number one. Yep. And then is there – what about – the use of technology. Alight is a technology yep. company. How do you see technology playing a role in that? And follow-up question right after you answer that sure. one. Sure. And, and I think if we go back to our careers, Dave, I think we see, particularly after downturns, there's this bump in the technology. People are so busy figuring out how to reduce costs at right. that point for the right reasons. That's something I probably should have focused on all along, but it comes imperative when the market is off like right. that. And I think that's when you start to see the technology bumps. And I think Generally, we all know when the market's really hot, things are busy, hey, throw more underwriters at it, throw more, you know, LOs at it. But we're actually starting to work with some companies. We just had a few of them in at our dinner, dinner last week where a few of them actually have, have really tried to redesign the process and get, make it more efficient. Good. One company was talking to us about is more sort of a, um, a direct-to-consumer type of model. Mm-hmm. But they were talking about the fact that, that 30% of all the loans that come through, they don't even touch a human. I mean, wow! They, they even call the people, person at the very end and say, hey, would you like some help on, on that or everything okay? Yeah, I'm hearing more and more reports on that. Yeah, why yeah. are you calling me? Yeah, so, yeah. So I, think, I think technology is clearly a tool no matter what. You, were, you asked me things about being optimistic about. The other thing is I, I think technology shifts it, but we know there's going to be a lot of people who want the hand-holding. They want the LO. Yes. There's going to be some of that, but there's going to be less of that. Yeah. And I think as there's less of that, I think LO, LO compensation becomes more reasonable. It's a very expensive proposition. Let's, let's go there. We, we saw what the PHH case. Yeah, uh, Mitch Kider was champion. That was all the way through. Then it yeah. went up to the appeals court, uh, appellate court, and we saw a very positive ruling there. Uh, we've got a shift in who's in the White House. There seems right. to be more of a 
less focus on regulation. I think it's the CFPP is here to stay. I mean, that is now going away. But so I think I think people who think this is going to change suddenly is are, are really going to be right. missing or a little bit surprised. But what is your perspective? Use and Joe's perspective right now on that. That was um, one quite, uh, on regulation, where the trends are on that. Yeah. And that's a great point. Actually, it's interesting because Mitch was actually talking to us the day after the election. Same yeah. thing, Dave. And uh, we got into the point where I think what's interesting is now it's the administration signaling they want to dismantle Dodd-Frank or probably not get rid of everything, obviously. I agree with you. I think take care of parts of it and eliminate parts right. of it. But I think the other part that Mitch brought up is the compliance isn't going away. Just as you said, they're not going to get rid of the CFP, but yeah. things are going to be different. There's, there's no doubt about it. But his, he made a good point. Be compliant. Remain compliant. You know, we actually find from our perspective, companies that are compliant actually have a competitive advantage. Yes. Um, so yeah. we've always uh, the best client we ever had, com- uh, best term, in terms of profitability. Uh, they were just at the um, at the uh, at your uh, event. Uh, yeah, actually, no, they were they were at the I think it was uh, Pete Marwick, I guess, was having I think it was Pete Marwick. Oh, uh, having with well, their Entrepreneur of the mm-hmm. Year Award. I'm pretty sure Pete Marwick. Um, but that was America first up in Portage, uh, M- Michigan. And I remember the guy saying uh, to me one, I uh, used to go in and do a review of his company for a warehouse bank five years ago. And uh, I said, this is Mark Jones. Oh, Mark. Yeah. yeah. I know Mark real well. Yeah, great great guy. guy. So I asked, you know, I always ask, say, well, okay, what are your strategic initiatives? And here's a company that's making a lot of money, great secondary yes. execution, no, controls the leakage, all yes. the things we like so much, nice margins on the front end of the loan, great profitability and basis points. And first thing out of his mouth was, I want to be bulletproof on compliance. That's so true. And that, that's that good. That's actually carried those. They, yeah. they do well with recruiting. Every yeah. company I see that works hard on compliance tends to do better in terms of performance. It takes it off the table, brings in the quality LOs, keeps the regulators off their back, keeps people focused. What do you think about consolidation? That's one of the questions that came in. Well, your thoughts, are we going to can just see an ever-increasing consolidation of fewer numbers of players with higher net worth. Is that really the, the continued so, trend? That's a great question, and it's one I think I hear that. How many times have you heard? I, mean, I guess I've been in the business roughly 30 years <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. You have two. I mean, they've been saying that for a long time. We still see mortgage companies form. You know, first yep. go talk to First Funding. They're yep. a warehouse lender, just you know, emerging mortgage bankers. Yes. They're doing it all the time. There's no new people starting. I think what's consolidated has been the servicing. That's yes, pretty clear. That is. That's so clear. I'm sure you've seen a lot of mm-hmm. clients who are taking on their own servicing using a subservicer. Clearly, there's consolidation there. But I, I just, I have, I'm optimistic for the smaller mortgage banker. I, mean, I am too. Some, some of them will consolidate. Some will get out of the business. Some will roll up. Uh, every time there's a downturn, some of the weaker ones want to consolidate or they just want to, you know, hang up their shoes. But I think in general, there's always going to be a good market out there. You guys do a great job. I yeah, encourage our listeners it. to be able to tune in, tune into you. And what's the best way to get a hold of you for those that are listening to this and the, your website and then also phone numbers? Sure. Okay. Website is www.garrettmacaulay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y.com. Uh, you can phone number, yes. uh, phone number 281-250-2536. You've done a great job in the industry. Well, Thank you've done you a great so, job, well, too. I mean, this, this whole podcast thing is just something yeah. I started to, yeah. needing some information, and it's taken off and doing really well. But yeah. I, I just have tremendous respect for when you were a warehouse lender, yeah. and now I'm so grateful that you're taking that knowledge instead of just giving it to the clients where you were warehousing them uh, to bring it out to the whole industry. And uh, I'm really just honored to have you sit in the chair here and allow me to spend a few minutes. Say hi to Joe. I you, will you? do. Honored he in his well. hat. I love the hat. hat. Say hello to the hat for you. Say hi to the hat. All right. Hey, thanks, thanks Dave. Thank appreciate you so much. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. You bet.
Folks, we've just had Mike McCauley in the booth here with us. Really been good to interview him. Mike is just one of those individuals. I've known him as a warehouse lender. And you look at someone, a warehouse lender has a unique perspective on companies because who's carrying the risk beyond the, the, the guy that's personally guaranteeing the lines? We got We've got, I've just got told I've got to bring my voice down a little bit more. But what we have is the warehouse lender is the one that takes the greatest risk. They're advancing at 98%. So anyway, glad to have his perspective on this. So what we're going to do is going to go back out to the audience here and listen to what's going on at the front of the podium here. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hello, who recently joined the San Mateo branch. And Jeff is very excited about the prospect of Scott and Melissa's business. Because in them, he sees potential for them to be long-term customers, as they will likely be making multiple home purchases over the course of their lifetime. Now, in talking to Jeff, Scott and Melissa emphasized the need for a quick turn time. And Jeff, knowing that San, the San Mateo branch has been closing loans in under that 25-day mark for the past few months, guarantees it. So Jeff wraps up the conversation with them, returns to the San Mateo branch, and shares the news about the new customer's colleagues. Now, Peter, the branch manager, overhears this conversation and makes note of the guarantees his LOs are, are giving their customers. Having just been notified by the finance team that the monthly updates to forecasts have been finalized, Peter decides to go into a light in order to take a look at the new projections and prepare his branch for the coming months. So he takes a look at the volume projections and notices that over the course of the next couple months, volume remains fairly flat. But over the following few months after that, we're looking at a significant influx in volume. And given the guarantees that Jeff and his other LOs are making... All right, everybody, we're back here at the booth and really excited to have uh, uh, some opportunity to interview some more mortgage professionals here. So introduce yourself. It's Chris Curtis. Curtis, it's so good to have you here. <laughs> and make sure I get your mic up here, friend. Can you hear me there? Yeah, now we can hear you. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. All right. So we got to hold the mics real tight. I keep, it's, it's like back when I was growing up, I said, my mom used to say, I can hear your voice above everywhere. You ought to be in radio. <laughs> I didn't know that how prophetic it would be. But anyway, it's good to have you here. Talk yeah, to I'm th thrilled to be here. I'm Curtis Richens, the president yeah. and CEO of Mortgage Capital Trading. Great hedging firm. Pipeline hedging firm based here in San Diego. Yes. And uh, happy to be here at the Alight Conference. Um, we have a lot of our clients who are <clears throat> starting to, to move on board with Alight. And so coordinating with them is, uh, is key to uh, it's important to our clients, what's important to us. When you're looking at what gets you excited about what Light's doing, talk about that a little bit, especially when you look at the ability to create real-time scenarios from a capital market standpoint. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think managers and owners of businesses, secondary marketing managers, they want meaningful metrics right. in how their business is operating. And a Light's promise, I think, is to mine the data much of which we have in the, in the in sort of the capital markets pipeline reporting and best execution data, they want to display that in meaningful ways so managers can understand how the business is performing, make forecast projections and resource appropriately. So um, I think that's a, the, the promise of a light is, is, is making better business decisions. And I think, and we sit on a lot of relevant data 
And hopefully, you know, together we can develop the meaningful metrics that uh, our mutual clients care about. Well, let's talk about some of the metrics that you have at your firm. You're one of the firms that our consulting firm refers into. You do a great job at your firm. Um, talk about some of the metrics that you're that you're bringing into light. You are are they? You guys are already interface, correct? We do interface, but I think it's really a work in process. Okay. Um, you know, um, there are certainly metrics about that are more capital markets focused that we deliver today to, to clients, you know, lift over best efforts, um, gain on sale um, for accounting purposes, derivative asset valuation, mark to market valuation, pipeline uh, management uh, metrics, uh, you know, like expiration reports, et cetera. But I think what Alight is doing is just kind of moving the ball down the field a little further to make it a relevant more relevant to the uh, CFO community and less uh, in in addition to the the secondary marketing manager, which is our primary audience Mm -hmm. uh, or business owner today. So I think, you know, we want to see metrics about loan level hedge costs, right? We want to see new metrics about um, the cash implications of of owning servicing about, you know, that's right. You guys do, you do. We did. We bought an an MSR valuation company last year. Um, So we have, uh, uh, folded that into our analytics. And in fact, we've got a press release right here, David, um, about our enhanced uh, best execution service now that that I think is perfect timing for this conference because it talks about kind of the what if scenarios that, um, you know, what if I decide to um, engage uh, MSR financing in my decision to retain servicing? How does that change the cost, the the cash to acquire uh, equation? And so it empowers CFOs to to do this what if planning and, and, and look and look at the acquisition of servicing on a pre-tax or a um, or post-tax basis, it, it incorporate their subservicing costs. Uh, so it's it's a um, and, and that's why we align so well with the light is because they are uh, trying to bring these some different scenarios and the, the understanding that every decision you need to understand the financial implications of your decisions, right? You know, and to help optimize. You know how big how big of a servicing portfolio can I afford to you know to to maintain. When you're looking at companies that are trying to do that, excuse the, the nice thing about the audio is it comes in right out of my computer. Um, when you're looking at various companies that are doing this, that are embracing what a light, where light's going, mm-hmm. what's your perspective? I mean, do you see this? Let me rephrase the question. I'm trying to say it without sounding like I'm dumping on the industry. But the reality is I don't see many people looking as being as proactive and what I think I light is a tool, and we've both seen people who try to understand the numbers, see the numbers, but they're not being as proactive about how they're doing it. And too many guys, I talk to secondary marketing guys, your, your primary customer right. that you work with, and trying to pass that information up, it's like the CEO doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, well, they care if there's yeah. a big number, at the red number at the bottom, but. Yeah, I, I always see I've seen mortgage banking as a as a continuum. You you kind of are always progressing, and I agree with you that some groups get stopped along the, the journey, mm-hmm. but those groups that are committed to you know to being in this industry long term, I think have to keep evolving. And my observation is that you know we'll move clients from best efforts to mandatory, so they'll start actively hedging, and once they get their hands around that, get comfortable, you know, then they start to look for for meaningful business intelligence and some metrics. And so I think it's it's a natural progression with firms as they as they mature, that eventually they're going to have to start mining this data, um, you know, for to make better business intelligent decisions. Yeah. How many people out there that you're 
that you really see that are actually spending as much time on this as they, as necessary. I think it's still a bit of a luxury. Yeah. I don't think there's an out of the box solution yet, and that's why you know we're here to roll up our sleeves with a light to see awesome. what are the metrics that our mutual clients care about, yeah. and um, you know we have a point of view on it. And we do have the connectivity with their system. And as clients raise their hand and say, hey, I want to be on the Alight system, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a suggested offering of kind of here are the metrics that we think as a hedge advisory firm make sense for you to look at on your, on your Alight dashboards. So it, is a, it isn't an out-of-the-box solution yet, but I don't think it's that far away either. It's, it's pretty intuitive if you stop. I'm, and, so, I'm just so encouraged that you're doing this, that you're on board with them. And embracing this, I think that is outstanding. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really because our client base, our clients want it, and it, and you're right, it's not 100 percent of them, and probably not even 25 percent of them. It's, it's still a minority, yeah. but I think it'll as it'll this catch on. as this industry continues to um, you know evolve and it becomes more and more competitive. I think you're going to have to be you know, looking for every advantage you, you can find. And I think, you know, the, these advantages in understanding your business and the metrics are going to, you know, be, be monetized by those groups that spend the time to, to focus on them. Well, we can't have a guy from the capital markets here without start talking about what's going on in the market. We're watching. That's, first of all, I'd love to get your reaction to Donald Trump's uh, presidency and how the markets are behaving. Uh, get your thoughts on that, and then let's get into more specifics on where, where do you think we're headed? Yeah, I think um, you know we've been surprised by the the speed at this uh, the bond market uh, uh, reversal, uh, reversal, and this uh, increase in in rates. We're seeing in mortgages. I mean, we I think I just saw the markets close today, and we're down another point. So we've lost over 300 basis points since uh, Trump's election in the um, you know in the in the MBS market. So you know it's. Um, you know, it, it's not a cause for concern among our client base. Right. They're all we're hedging to their pull through. Yeah, so it's not a loss issue. Now we're talking about the business. How? What is well, that's the, right. And what's that, the impact? Yeah, from it? a hedger's point of view, you know, we're more concerned about a, a, a large rally in the market. Yes, at this point. But uh, you know, when we see the market tank like this, like we did in the summer of 2013, you know, we um, we're a little less anxious about it. I mean, there are some do's and don'ts, and we're communicating to our clients on that to 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 you know react to this market. But um, but I think you made the Longer term, you know, concern is that yeah, rates are rising and action levels that we've enjoyed the last couple of years, you know, might be, might be uh, diminished going forward. And if you haven't transitioned from, you know, if you haven't built up a, a strong purchase business, you know, your 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 volume could be at risk. Yeah, talk a little bit about how, what are you recommending for companies? moving forward in this environment is there specific things that i mean you guys are not only a hedge manager firm your advisory firm you're really helping with strategic direction what are some of the strategic directions you're really encouraging your clients to look at well i do and one trend i've seen um amongst some of our more progressive clients is you know adding a direct to consumer channel Mm -hmm. you know a lot of our clients have a classic retail channel some also have the wholesale channel but i've been encouraged to see other groups kind of embrace this direct to consumer uh, is it the whole rocket mortgage? Is that is it that yeah. or is it? Yeah, I think it's 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 um you know making you know it's becoming more of a less of a sales company, more of a marketing company. Right. Getting that phone to ring yeah. so that uh, you know a um and a, a mortgage associate can pick up the phone and and, and do, deal directly with the client. All right. Um, so we're seeing more and more evidence of that. What what's it looking like within your customer base as far as those that are actually seeing 
customers apply online and go through, like Mike was just saying, you didn't hear his comments, but he says he's got some companies where some percentage, like 20% of the business is going all the way through from start to finish. And they're calling the borrower and says, do you need any help? They go, no, we're doing fine. <laughs> what do you see when looking at your customers? Yeah, I mean, I can even trump that. Uh, I think we've seen uh, clients change their entire business model. A classic retail shop just saying, hey, uh, I'm going to let go of my uh, expensive loan officers. I'm going to I'm going to become a marketing company. I'm going to make the phone ring in my office, and I'm going to deal with those borrowers that uh, that are calling me. So I've seen one shop in particular was uh, run by a very um, uh, award-winning, rec- nationally recognized loan officer who's who's uh, transformed his entire company this way. Wow! Um, just because he and it's working. And it's working. Uh, he's getting purchase business and not just the refi business as well. So I think it's definitely doable. And I would encourage all our companies to explore the, you know, the, the viability of this channel in their marketplace, just to diversify, you know, the, um, you know, the, uh, the origination channels. We talk about the millennials being the only one doing this, but that's not necessarily the case. It's some of it. I have two individuals, uh, one which she's in her mid-50s and another one who's in his early 60s. And they went the path of the millennials. Just so not talk to a loan officer, applied online, went through the whole process. In the case of the gal that it's in, uh, she's up in uh, Northern California, and uh, we're sort of mortgage company. She says it's the most pleasant experience I didn't know. <laughs> I think it's encouraging, and uh, I think we'll see more of it for sure. I think uh, that we're seeing some trends. What are some other trends that you're noticing amongst the companies that you are the more progressive, the more successful companies? You have a unique perspective. I think um, we're seeing a, a, an increased focus on, um, you know, accounting systems. Um, you know, people want loan level hedge costs now, and we felt because we hedge in the aggregate, and you have to accept some business rules when you uh, mm-hmm. when you derive loan level hedge costs. But we're seeing uh, increased demand for for that. We also seen, you know, kind of uh, clients requiring connectivity between their systems, be it their capital market system or their, their loan operating system, their pricing engine, all these systems need to talk to each other so that there's not reeking of data, so that there's as much efficiency in the system as possible. And the trend that we're seeing as well um, with our clients is, you know, we have historically been a consulting-based company. Yes, and about three years One of the reasons I like you <laughs> because you do a great job of educating those that are getting into it. You guys do a great job at that. Thank you, David. But, you know, but even those clients that uh, appreciate the consulting, eventually as they become um, adept in the capital market space, they want to take on more of that, that responsibility themselves in-house. So now the tools that we've provided to our traders for the last 15 years, we're now making available to our clients. So clients who want to run their own mark-to-market in real time, those clients that want to do their own best execution analysis, those clients that want to do their own hedging scenarios, they can do that online now with or without uh, an MCT trader holding their hand. So we're seeing this movement away, you know, for this some maybe you know, that may change this this current market scenario that we're experiencing. Well, that may well, change. Yeah. It's like be careful what you wish for, you may get it, and you would wish you had. It. That's true. That's true. No, but we're always in the background, so yeah. ready, ready to provide advice, ready to keep everybody uh, you know on the yeah. rails. But uh, but this increased you know interest in in uh, in a pathway to be autonomous, I think, is, is something we're noticing. Uh, we're also in the outsource lock desk business, and oh, good. we see a lot of interest, especially with. Um, Is that for the more of the merging companies that are? You, you know, it tends to be. You know, the lock desk turns out to be a pain point for a lot of more of these companies. Just it the is. staffing challenges, uh, the uh, the need to be responsive and reacting to to market conditions. You always need to be ready, you know, mm-hmm. to shut down pricing or reissue pricing and. 
um, we're able to move that from a from a fixed to a variable cost for for um, talk about that because that's a great feature that you guys do. Talk about the cost structure, you know, for, for someone that why they should consider doing mm. that. Well, again, it moves. This is a this is a shameless ability. <laughs> I'm open the door for you just to come and advertise. I wish my uh, lock desk manager was here to, to to give all the details. But you know, I think the main driver for most companies and their interest in this is uh, is the ability to move from a fixed to a variable cost um, and have a sort of a hundred percent confidence that it's going to be staffed and it's going to be reacting in real time to market conditions and implementing a whatever the lock policy is of the company and you'd be surprised by the variability and I know you guys look mm-hmm. at best practices yes, throughout the but there's a lot of different um, custom approaches I'd say that uh, mortgage companies implement on the lock desk and so we're able to 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 uh, you know uh, describe that and implement exactly what the mortgage company wants. So so I think for those reasons the, the cost uh, uh, efficiencies, the the reliability, and the uh, and the um, uh, the ability to implement a policy consistently is really the main drivers for the lock desk success. As we wrap up this interview, there's MCT is one of many good companies that's mm-hmm. out there. But what is the most unique distinguishing factor? about your company. I think one of the things that come to mind is the fact that you will help and consult the people through their journey. You help them start at an early stage mm-hmm. of this thing. And that's one of the reasons I've referred so much business your way is because of that place. You're really good at helping people get into it and then grow. But what are some of the other things that people should know about your firm? Yeah, I think the, um, and I should, re- I should thank you for all those referrals in the past, David. So thank you for that, uh, for your confidence in MCT. Um, the, the feedback we get most of the time is that, you know, people like working with MCT because of the handholding approach. Right. We are resourced to be there every step of the way. And in market conditions like we have now, like you alluded to, if you want to have a, you know, a, a colleague um, or a, a source to talk through ideas to understand what's happening out there, what actions should I take, what should I be worried about? And so, Unlike a lot of the other hedge advisors, we're really resourced to be you know, have to deliver a one-on-one sort of, you know, concierge-type style, mm-hmm. um, especially for those groups that are just getting started with us. And you know, I think that the people like the, the feature that people like about working with MCT is that there is this pathway by moving to the software where you can be, become you know more autonomous and really internalize this functionality, the, the capital markets functionality within your firm, at whatever pace you want. So we can be there. You know, just um, you know, holding your hand as, as you're starting to execute your your best execution analysis, or do your, or execute your 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 trades for hedging purposes, um, or we can just be making sure that the data is flowing and you're doing everything yourself. So there's really multiple levels of engagement, and I think people like that flexibility. Yeah, that's that's a consistently thing that people. There's several people I referred it to you, and they're still with you. And they, <laughs> I said. Well, I said, why do you stay? There's, I mean, I, well, he said, oh, we have a lot of people knocking on our door, but it's because they have been there with us from mm-hmm. day one and helped us go through every one of the stages. And the relationships you have built with your clients is, I mean, they trust you. And I mean, you're, there was ever a business where an aspect of this business was trust is just paramount. It's that. How have you been able to build that, establish that? Well, that's, that is our mission statement. We want to be mm-hmm. uh, the trusted capital market advisor to our yeah. clients. It's right, right here. It's on yeah. our, it's on our literature. Yeah, and so, you know, we do everything. 
thing. We give 150% effort to, to deliver on that promise. And so it means having the right resource in place and having knowledgeable folks that know the capital market space, but also have relationships within the industry so we can advise on, you know, other matters, be it warehouse or MSR financing or um, accounting systems or LOS systems or what is the best practice for lock desk. So we, so we like to get involved in, in, and at least offer our, our point of view um, and try to help our clients, you know, run the best possible business that they can. And just circling back with a light, that's why we're here today. It's because yeah. these people seem committed to helping companies be the best they can be, and it fits with our mission. Yeah, there's good alignment in that whole area. Thank you so much, Curtis, for taking a few minutes to come just join me in here in the booth, and hopefully we haven't disturbed them out there too badly. Hopefully not. Hopefully our voices are there reasonably. <laughs> we turned up the mic so we could whisper a little more. Thank you so much, David. Really Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. it. Look forward to talking to you again. Take care. It's Thank good you. to be in your hometown. Yeah. Thanks. Take All right, care. folks, we've had Curtis in from MCT. I tell you, one of the major companies that I have referred to, and I've been so happy that I've done, our clients love them because of the care that they have and the relationship that they build. So if you're looking for someone, be sure to go to their website, and I encourage you to check them out. Folks, we're going to go back out to listen to the presentation that's going on out there, and uh, appreciate you being here with us. We're going to go back out to listen to what's going on at the podium. It takes a long time to kind of cycle through it and, and get it all working, okay? Um, so what is it about your, your model that really makes it work, that makes it accurate? To get really, you know, into the grain as far as all the different companies, be it how we're valuing our MSRs, the, you know, how, how many hours it's going to take an underwriter to process, you know, to, to work alone. You've got all the details in there. You know, it's really dynamic, but again, you know, it's very, you know, mm-hmm. very laborious to, to update. Right. So it's a it's a fully integrated plan. It's got your sales plan. It's got operations. How, how, how many hours for an underwriter, for a processor, a loan officer, those different things. It's got the, the financial metrics, the MSRs, and all of that. But that's what makes it successful, is that it's all, is it all contained within one workbook? So you have three or four files open because you've got some ifs that only work if this one's open and, and some things like that. Okay, great. What have some of the rest of you done that's been successful, or where have you experienced challenges? Yes, please, so Pam. Our biggest challenge, so, you know, like Scott, we have a fully integrated Excel model where if you just put in basic assumptions like production, you know, basic points, how much a service release versus your thing, all that kind of good stuff, it'll spit out a five year balance sheet cash statement. doesn't really look like this.
Yeah. How do you optimize it? So you have the staff you need in peak times, but you're not significantly overstaffed in during the lulls. Right. Okay. those of you who don't have this level of planning yet, what are your challenges in getting there? always the challenge right is how do you put how do you quantify something that's qualitative okay anyone else uh, well we build it into sorry what was that yeah. I asked how many people are, are taking advantage of the capability to do top down and bottom up headcount planning because you know there's a number that top down based on forecast and sort of sales numbers and then bottom up based on sort of departmental view of the world and we we facilitate that but how how many are are we is there a demand for that or not quite yet the demand is building um here's here's the so what michelle is talking Okay, folks, we're back in the booth here, and I have another guest we are able to pull out of the audience that come and visit with us. So good to have you with us. Introduce yourself to our audience. Yes, my name is David Burris. I'm with String Real Estate uh, Information Systems. Uh, I've been in the mortgage industry since 1986 um, with PMI, with um, right. Arch, and also with Freddie Mac. So I'm very excited to be in the outsourcing business these days. Yeah, now you were at, at PMI. You were, what was your role there? Um, had many roles, but when we closed out, I was doing national accounts. That's what I thought. That's when yeah. you and I first met. I think yes, it was a long, right. long, long, long time ago. That's right. Back when the Ralph days. Yeah. So that's you're, right. why are you here at this Alight event? Well, um, you know, the, when we were at the National MBA in, in October, um, two of the biggest topics we picked up on is people facing the issues around cost to originate a loan. Mm-hmm. Um, and the MBA says it's about $7,000 a loan. Um, exactly. Yeah, it is. And then the other issue is um, just a tactic people are using more frequently than I've ever seen before, which is delivering a loan in a shorter cycle, really for the strategy of profitability. Right. In the past, it used to just be um, to meet a real uh, a realtor demand or something like that. But now it's actually a built-in strategy to deliver a loan quicker, so you're going to get a better price. So talk about your technology. What is String about? 
String is really a practical solution for the mid to small mortgage banker. We're, we're, we're not going to deploy a ton of technology for you. We're not going to make you <clears throat> rethink everything that you're doing. Most companies that have been successful for a long time have many key employees that they're trying to hold on to. Key originators, they have key processors, key underwriters. Right. Um, and what they've always faced is mortgage bankers never right-sized. Mm-hmm. They never have the right body count, right? They're right. either too many or too few. And so how do you get around that? What we do is, is we help them work through their workflow analysis and, and allow the work that uh, is really the mundane housekeeping side of the business to be put off on us and let their skills. When you say put, are you an outsource company? Yes, so we outsource. We outsource everything from processing all three through to post To string. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So Sorry. talk about that. So you are, that, you're like, uh, um, do, is it onshore, offshore? Offshore. So We're you, offshore. Oh, you, so, okay. Yeah. So you're offshoring the, right. the, 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 all the way through from processing mm-hmm. on all the way out to uh, post-closing? Post-closing, correct. Right. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the, our model is pretty simple. We're we're not asking for someone to integrate with us. We're not asking for any kind of um, crazy kind of integration project or anything like that. What we literally do is through remote access, we look like the company's employee. Okay. So all they do, so they don't have to change anything about their workflow or the way they do business today. All they do is assign us a position in their system. They put loans in our queue. Um, we do the work that we were assigned to do. We do it in 24 hours or less because we're a 24-hour shop, and we typically can cut half the cycle time, and then we also cut a half, about half the cost. Really? So, it's, a a, it's, so it's an immediate pickup, so we can be employed, and the customer can start saving money in 30 days or less. Wow. So how long does it take to get up and running? Oh, 30 days or less. So you, you, I thought I heard you say is that it was, they can save money in 30 days or less. Yeah. You, you can get up and running in 30 days and yeah. actually having them save money within that time frame. Yes, that's, that's right. extraordinary. Yeah, that's normally, right. when I've seen outsourcing, it takes a lot longer to realize Usually that. Usually three to six months to yeah. hit a minimum. And normally, What, what are you doing different to be able to achieve that? It's just a practical solution. The practical solution is your, your processor who's been working for you for years, is doing all kinds of stuff that just bores them to tears. That's true. And, and it's not the thinking part of the business. Right, it's right. not the lending part of the It's not the skill part of the business. It's really just the things you have to do to meet compliance, regulatory, and package for investors. And that's what we're doing. A lot doing. of people would say, well, I'm going to lose control of my business if I outsource that. Right. What are the keys for well, that? The, and, and you're exactly right. You, if you talk to a loan officer, that's his number one issue or her number one issue. I'm I drive him crazy. I can't, can't lose control. Well, in this case, you don't. We're subliminal to the workflow and the customer experience. Because we're in their system, working through their system remotely, it's the same workflow they're used to all the time. So they see the package progress just like they always did. So they've lost no control whatsoever. We don't interact with the customer. We just do the work. We let the processor, underwriter, loan officer interact with the customer. Very interesting. Yeah. And So, so it gives them more time to do that, which makes the quality experience better. You talked about cost savings. Yes. What, on average, are you seeing as far as cost savings? Thirty to fifty percent. Wow. That's pretty straightforward. On uh, just what that's being. Oh, that's yeah, what any, that piece. any of those functions. Uh, we can save functions. thirty to fifty percent. Yeah. Why would you not take the whole company and begin to outsource with that? I mean, at, at what levels does this work, and where does it not work? Well, I, I think that the larger a company gets, the more uh, kind of integration or. More, more complicated circumstances they might want to go engage in. We're really pretty straightforward in how we do it. And we really don't see anybody servicing 
this mid-sized lender very well. If it, if that's at all. true. That's true. So we're, it's an underserved our, part of the market. Our target is anywhere from 250 million to about 10 billion. That's really what we're after. Okay. When you look, say that number again. About 250 million to about 10 billion in origination. On an, on an annualized basis. Yes. Okay. Right. So where do you see the trends uh, and offshoring going? With now that we have Donald Trump in the as, as the because he was <laughs> yeah. pretty adamant yeah. about that. He's a little bit yeah. vocal. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think if we're all, um, I think if Donald's honest, you know, the, um, you know, where does he get his steel from? Guess where he gets it from? He gets it from China. Exactly. So, uh, you know, he, he's a businessman. Yes, he is. And, uh, you know, um, the issue is going to be how do you drive down your cost? Now, part of it's going to be technology over right. time. Like Fannie Mae introduced day one certainty, mm-hmm. and that's a great concept. But until that hit rate of verifications of employment, assets, and income gets over 70 80%, right. you still got all that backfill you have to do. Technology will eventually catch up with many of these items, but it's not there today. Right. And, and you and I both know it's going to take three to five years to get that experience Absolutely. Yeah, it is. to the level that it should. Mm-hmm in order for that to really be the answer. So what's a company that should consider this? I mean, I mean, other than I mean, everyone I who a, wants I to think save a, money, but what you could say, I, but. I think a perfect profile of a company is a company that's from, you know, about one to about $5 billion. They've been originating loans for 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. They've got people that they've kept with them all that time. And they're trying to figure out how to make sure and offer them job security. So that as pressure comes upon the mortgage company, to save cost and, uh, and, and and get more efficient, that they don't have to start looking at their best friends in the eye and go, gosh, you know, Betty, I, I just can't keep you here. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thought process really is think about 20 or 30 percent ongoing capacity to be outsourced. Okay. If you think of that as a mindset and as a model, then you've got that protection built into place. And then of course, obviously if it goes up, we can ramp up way quicker than they can. So what about um, the process? Because you, you, you were following their processes for the most part. That's right. Exactly. Because I remember Accenture, I I consulted to them at one point in time, huge, and and took forever to get it installed. And then, and they were, they tried to integrate with companies' processes, and it was always a big, biggest challenge. Yeah. How are you – that's got to be a key integral part of yeah. your success. So literally, yeah. So literally what we do is we sit down with the, with, the, with the lender. We go through their workflow today, and we say, what do you have your process for doing? And they list all the items that they have, and, and we, we tell them, here's all the things that we could do. Okay. And then they st- it starts to get them to thinking. It really right. becomes a different way of thinking to go, you know – Betty's better than that. Let's let's let her talk to the customer more. Let's make sure she's engaging yeah. them to make sure that they're enjoying the experience and they understand exactly what they need to be doing next to get that loan. Closed. Right. Or, or the underwriter. Let's make sure those files are completely clean so that when they come to her or him, they're ready to be decided on. They can do two, three more, you know, um, times the production that they were doing Correct. before. One of our customers uses us right after processing. They'll send us the file to see if it's a clean file or not. And we literally, in that instance, have helped reduce conditions by a third wow. going into the underwriting. Yeah, reduce conditions by a third. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, absolutely. Are you finding inconsistencies in process? We do a lot of process workflow management. Yeah. And right. I'm looking at the inconsistencies. So many times we yes. go into a shop and they say, exactly. uh, you know, we do it this way. And then we pull the staff together and go, I know they say we do it that way. Yeah. But here's what we actually found exactly. to work the best. Exactly. Yeah. 
So does that present problems for you, or do you actually go in to help them identify that? Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the latter, we help okay. them identify. Because you're right, what what's written on a sheet of paper or what management thinks they're doing is not necessarily what the right. processor or underwriter are doing or closure or any of those guys are doing that for that matter. And you only find out when you talk to the line person. So, again, how is a light helping you in this whole process? A, a light helps you identify what you can outsource without impacting your level of service to your customer. Wow. And they're doing, and do you interface with them or how are you working with specifically a light? Is there any interfaces or are you just using it as a tool yourselves and with the companies that, that you're working with on the, that outsourcing to you? Yeah. So I'm in charge of sales. Yes, yeah. So I just engage customers to find opportunities for them. Okay. And then with my experience in automated underwriting back since their oh, early nineties, yeah. I, um, you know, help them go through their workflow and help them understand what yeah. work that they could outsource versus what work really gets the most value for them with, with each excellent. employee. That's excellent. And that's how we divide that out. You do a great job. I appreciate you taking time, David, to stop oh, yes. in here and talk a little bit about it. It's so good to have you here and see you again after so many years. Oh, absolutely. It's really an honor to have you here. Yes, appreciate sir. it so Thank much. You so Thank much. you so much. Really appreciate you it. Betcha. How can people get a hold of you? What's your website and what's the best way for people to reach you? Yes, uh, www.stringinfo.com. Stringinfo.com. Um, and then, of course, you know, <laughs> Excuse they, me. they can certainly access, they can certainly give me a call, 703 286 9389. And you're based out of where? I'm based out of D.C. All right. Very good. Thank you yes. so much. You guess that with that phone number. Thank you yes, so sir. much. All right. Thanks. Folks, we're going to cut out to the audience a little bit. And we got Marina Walsh, Walsh from the NBA, stepping into the booth here in just a minute. Uh, you become a customer of, in the case of a light, uh, you maybe invest in or even go so far as to acquire, which any of those, if they improve your business, we'll call those the aha moments. On the flip side, it's your competitor does it first and gets far ahead of you, uh, which would be kind of your oh crap moment. And we're gonna hope to avoid those as much as possible. Um, you know, there's a, a bunch of reasons listed out here as to why cloud is so transformational, but you can sort of just narrow it down into cost, flexibility, and speed. Um, on the cost side of things, there's really, uh, there's really two elements. First on, on pricing, Generally, it's you, you pay for what you eat. So you're paying on a per user or per seat or per license basis uh, or, uh, uh, per, per user, um, as opposed to a big full-scale implementation of a traditional software uh, uh, license that you might get from a non-SaaS vendor. Um, additionally, within cost, because everything is hosted off-site, it doesn't require you to make a big upfront investment. So this kind of blends into flexibility. You can kind of dip your toe into the water with these products. You can try them out and decide whether or not this is giving you the proper amount of business value proposition that you're looking for before deciding to implement a full-scale rollout. Um, and because it's hosted off-site, you don't have to have uh, a big technical team maintaining it and updating it this is all done for you. Uh, and then finally, uh, with regard to speed, you can get up and running in hours, days. You know, the, on the longer end of things, is something like a big Salesforce implementation where you'd have a lot of professional services that go into that, which, of course, would take a, a slightly longer time and is sort of an ongoing uh, operation. Cloud is 
you know, th there's the uh, the Andreessen uh, quote that uh, software is eating the world. Well, you can now say that cloud is eating software because you can look at, you know, by 2020, you've got an over $400 billion enterprise software market. And by that time, more than a quarter of that is just going to be made up of the as-a-service businesses. And one of the implications that I think will be important for you, uh, even if you don't yourself, you know, run a SaaS business, is the valuations that these businesses are getting. We're at all-time highs uh, in terms of the valuation and the number of deals that are being done. And, you know, the big takeaway that uh, I think you should take from this is that the number of new entrants that we're seeing in the market Okay, everybody, we're cutting back into the booth here. I am so excited to have someone with me that I just, I have so much respect for. Of course, anyone at the MBA that does all that the MBA does, but we have Marina Walsh, who is heading up the finance and accounting uh, management, I mean, the, the accounting and the financial management webinar, seminar here, here for the next couple of days. So good to have you here with us. Oh, it's great to be here, David. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the radio program. And we have a whole special, we're going to bring you on for a whole 20, 30 minutes in one of our upcoming podcasts. So I'm very excited about having you as a guest. Talk a little bit about Everyone, you're here at the at Alight. You flew mm -hmm. in. You were, I just I want to applaud you, first of all, for allowing them to, to partner up and be alongside. Sometimes that doesn't always work. This, you've been able to find a relationship with Alight because there's really good alignment. Talk a little bit about that if you can. I know we're not looking for an endorsement, on that, but just, just your view of Alight and why, why you showed up here. Sure. Alight is a wonderful technology company and a premier member of the Mortgage Bankers Association. We're so happy with our affiliation with them. Um, they're a sponsor of the Accounting and Financial Management Conference, and they're okay, really trying to understand um, their they're trying to understand the their clients, the ones that they serve, oh, and good. so. By having this, by attending our conference over three days, they really get to understand what are the challenges, what are the financial reporting challenges, um, particularly for the independent mortgage bankers that and is, the mid-sized banks. I'm excited about the product because I know as having owned three mortgage banking companies or involved in the ownership of three mortgage bank companies, what a valuable tool this is because working with spreadsheets is one thing. But let's talk about the MBA's accounting and financial management conference. This starts tomorrow. Let's get into talking a little bit about um, what this event, some of the speakers that are going to be here. Mm -hmm. So those that are that can still make it in here, they can still register, they can get in here. Uh, but talk about it. And those that are missing it, why they should, should have probably been in here to register. So give us some insights of the conference. Well, first of all, we have record attendance. Really? We're at over 470 attendees. Wow. And what's interesting about the folks who are attending this year is a lot of new folks. There are a lot of companies who have never attended this conference before. So in addition to the veterans who I'm used to seeing, having been part of this for over 15 years, I get to meet a lot of new companies. So a let's lot get of into CFOs. some of the speakers and some of the items, some Absolutely. of the things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're starting it out. We're kicking it off with Mike Fratt and Tony, who's our chief economist at MBA oh, and wow. he's going to be talking about love, the economic oh yeah he's going to be talking about the economic forecast and obviously I'm sure he'll give us some tidbits on the election and what the election result will mean for the mortgage business um, and then we're having sessions on profitability um, that I'm going to speak at, as well as Jim Cameron from Stratmore Group and Tammy Dahlstrom from Mutual Bank of Omaha. Good. 
Um, we're also going to have a star-studded panel of folks speaking on origination and servicing of government loans, which is a very big topic right now. Um, we have Michael Chen Young um, from Prospect, who is going to be talking about treasury management and cash management mm-hmm. and liquidity for independent mortgage bankers. Mm-hmm. A lot of sessions specifically geared toward independent mortgage bankers again, and as well as That's community good. banks. We have ones on on uh, uh, Cecil reserves and non-Cecil reserves. Um, we have a CFO panel. Um, that Mike McCauley, who okay. was just on your show, yeah. was talking about. So, yeah, he's going to be moderating a session on CFOs. We have um, folks talking about mortgage company valuation on our last day. Um, Very and good. Capital raising, which is so important. Oh, that's really important. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a bigger issue as we move forward into with where things are going. Are you Absolutely. seeing one of the questions that several people wrote me and said, hey, you're going to have a you know, ask her this. Are you starting to see continued consolidation among the independents? We're seeing a whole new crop of new companies that have never been in business for us. A, a reemergence of a, a number of new de novos. That's a really encouraging trend. That is encouraging. Overall, based on the Humda data, in terms of consolidation within the mortgage industry in general, we're down to fewer than 7,000 lenders. And just to give you some perspective on that, in 2008, we were at almost 8,500 lenders. So as an industry, we're consolidating. At the same time, the independents are doing pretty well. They've gained market share, and in terms of count, they're doing well. Um, uh, and so there, there are new entrants. It's just that the barriers to entry is a little bit higher it than it was before. It's definitely higher, and the operational component, the complexities of our, of our industry are there. That's why many people need to attend the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference that's coming up in January. That, would be really that is about. exactly uh, right. Yeah. Independent Mortgage Bankers, and it's in Palm Springs, folks. <laughs> I mean, can't beat that. That <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the MBAs, along with many of us, were shocked and amazed at this election. And I've been, I'm speaking tomorrow. I have to fly back. I'm so bummed I can't be at this conference. I have to fly back and speak, and I'm talking about what it means with this election. What can we anticipate? And so Mike's one of those phone calls I want to make. Uh, is he flown out here yet? Because I want to try to connect with him so before I go to the podium tomorrow at noon. He is flying out. He will be here tomorrow. Okay. He'll be here late tonight, I believe. Uh, okay, so mm-hmm. I may have to miss him. I may have to catch him early tomorrow morning. Hopefully I'll get it. If you see him, let him know Dave's going to be calling because he's speaking at noon central time. Let's talk a little bit about that surprise because when we were at the NBA, I mean, it was a foregone conclusion. Hillary's going to be the president. I mean, we all, you guys were not just you, but I mean, everybody had that baked in to what we were as the reality. I, I still don't think it necessarily changes the mission of MBA. No, um, going not. back to what we talked about at annual, our MBA chairman, Rodrigo Lopez, who's coming in, he focused on three specific elements you know, clarity in terms of the regulations, um, diversity in terms of the types of folks that. Uh, you know, the diversity of, mm-hmm. of um, participants and millennials, the, and yes, exactly, uh, and low income, and then technology. So those three themes are still important themes for MBA. So it doesn't really change. No, it doesn't change. Do. No, but I think with yeah. the outlook, I mean, the forecasting you guys are doing has got to, because Mike's got to be redoing. His, oh, I'm letting Mike. He, he did have a statement on it that came out last week um, in that. 
you know, depending on what happens, the treasury rate is up. Yes. And so what that could mean is that we move more towards a purchase market sooner yes. and that refinancing market dries up a little sooner. Yeah. But I'll let him speak <laughs> to, that speak to that tomorrow. tomorrow. That can't wait to hear what mm-hmm. those poly- if there's any projections on the volume numbers if that's going to change. It's obviously going to have an impact. We see refinances drying up and we see the impact of, you know, three hundred basis points move already. Mm-hmm. We've seen in this that that's significant. So we could have a, we could have a different outlook here pretty quickly. And that's the cliffhanger until tomorrow. Oh, gosh. And I have to be at an airplane. Thank God. Well, you have to text me or let me know what happens before I go to the podium tomorrow. What time is he speaking? Is he speaking tomorrow? He he, he kicks off our conference. Oh, good. I can't one fifteen. Are you going to simulcast that? We need to get that simulcast. I need to show you. Oh. We're doing that here. We need to do. A, I'll teach you how to do that. Uh, so anyway, what uh, are some of the things that you're seeing in the projections? What are some of the obvious things that you're going, you know, well, we have to really go back and re-examine these parts of our projections for 2017. Anything that yeah. comes to mind? Well, other I'll, than focus, interest rates? I'll focus on profitability mm-hmm. because that's what I, I yeah. sort of track and on a regular basis. You do a basis. great job of it. Profitability and revenues. I mean, we had a an exceptionally good oh, past kidding. two quarters. The second quarter and the third quarter, thanks to Brexit, very strong. I think we're looking at profitability of 72 basis points. So it really, I I think the profitability, it it really depends on what type of company you are. You can't say, you know, you can say as an industry, we may not be as profitable as 2016. But then there are these pockets. Those who have always, the independent mortgage companies and other banks who have been focused on purchase production should do very, very well in a purchase market because they're used to doing it. Those that depended on refinancing will be a little bit more challenged or will have to rely on their correspondent channel to bring in that purchase production. To bring the production, but not necessarily the profits. What about the consumer direct component? We're starting to hear some numbers where consumer direct is, is so much more profitable. And I would love to get your thoughts on that. Is the numbers that you're seeing from your studies, is that bearing that out, that consumer direct is significantly more profitable? Consumer Direct is profitable, but we're still not seeing purchase production going there, except in a few cases. So it's mostly refinances. Very heavily refinancing. And if you look at the breakout, we actually did some analysis breaking out the Consumer Direct net income between sort of the the type or purpose of having a Mm -hmm. Consumer Direct channel. So if you look at servicing portfolio retention, which is basically churning your servicing portfolio, the six-year average was over 160 basis points, very, very high. Then when you start getting into others like new customer acquisition, it goes down to 54 basis points. But still, that's a respectable number. But, you know, wide range, there are different models in there. You could have a company that has a strong anchor product, such as insurance or another product, and they're more, uh, they're in a better position to take advantage of the consumer direct model. What are some of the trends Miranda, that are surprising you, that you're saying, man, this one I just didn't see coming. What are some of the trends that are kind of getting on like, huh, or, or that you might find more curious than other trends? 
Well, I think sales costs. We focus a lot on fulfillment costs. Right, you do. We focus on the processing, underwriting, and closing and being able to control those costs. And we believe that that's what's baked into the cost of compliance is those fulfillment costs. But at the same time, we really need to look at the sales costs, too, um, and keep in mind, especially in retail, loan officers are paid on a commission basis, rising loan balance environment. So a bigger portion of your per loan costs are going towards those sales costs. So the idea is, is there, what is the alternative? Right. Um, you know, you, you can bring down your fulfillment costs, and that mm-hmm. will take care that will take care of maybe five hundred to a thousand dollars per loan, but you still have that sales component. But at the same time, you need your great loan officers. You really do. You need them to get so, in that purchase production. So it's a conundrum. The recent past president, Bill Emerson, who I just think the world of. I love mm-hmm. his leadership he brings. And you look at Rocket Mortgage, and what a brilliant move from a marketing standpoint. I'm sure you guys had a close look at that during that time, and are continually. Are the app, such as Rocket Mortgage, really making a, a significant difference and dropping loan officer compensation costs? I would think. I I can't speak to it because I'm just not familiar with the exact data points at at Quicken. Right. Um, they're a private but, company. Uh, yeah. So what, generally speaking, do you, what's your hunch on that? You look at numbers and you're very driven by the numbers that you're seeing, but you're also very smart and you look at patterns and trends and you why you are i respect you one of the reasons i respect you so much Maria, is you're careful to stay off the slippery slope of trying to forecast things foolishly but there's got to be something i'll be wrong <laughs> <laughs> when they talk about economists all it is is a group of people that are just i was just listening to a podcast talking about you know, i was thinking of fran tony was like this is monkeys throwing darts it could be more accurate on predicting the economy than economists i go but i so we had Doug Duncan and, and Brinkman, and I love so much. And but they sound great, don't they? they? Dang, they sound good. It makes me feel good when I'm listening to them. <laughs> but you're looking at data, too. And those, those things that are really outliers this last year, what were some of the things that were outliers that in, in, the, anal- in the data analysis? In terms of cost specifically? Yes, yeah, so specifically cost, yes. Um, I- I, I don't know if this is necessary. Folks were still recovering from the trade pl- right. implementation, obviously, yes. that went into effect a year ago. Yeah. Um, and so there was cost associated with that. Um, I, I think we were definitely helped out by the two refi okay. boomlets in February mm-hmm. and then again in in June that we didn't anticipate. So yes. that definitely helped that was in terms of bringing down. Yeah. So the cost actually did go down. So now that with the CFPB ruling, with the, the PHH ruling, mm-hmm. does that bring confusion and going to continue to raise costs on the compliance side? Or is this going to cause things to settle down? And then also mm-hmm. the anticipation now that we have, you know, President-elect Trump coming into the, and he's talked about how he wants to deregulate things. I, I don't think CFPB yeah. is going away. I don't, looking, I'm not, if anyone's looking for any massive overhauls anytime soon, I just don't see that happening. But mm-hmm. do you see the costs of compliance dropping at all? I actually don't yet. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't see them dropping uh, just because until there is writing, until there are written, there's written clarity, mm-hmm. not spoken clarity. There needs to be written clarity 
to some of the rules. There's too much gray still. And that's why it's such an important part of MBA's mission and our incoming MBA chair's mission to just get that clarity out there. If we know the rules, we can follow them. But when there's bread, it's, it's, so. it, it, it's tough. If there's anyone who has a great relationship with Cordray, it has been David Stevens. I mean, the, there, at least from what I can see, there's been a real concerted effort by David and everyone mm-hmm. within the MBA to get clarity on this. Why has it been so difficult from your perspective, Maria, to get them to, be, to bring that clarity? Is it they don't understand the business? That's what I've heard is one explanation, and they therefore struggle to bring clarity when they don't understand it. What would... I don't know. I just think they have a lot on their plate. They're a new organization. They're trying to tackle a lot of different issues, not just mortgage. That's true. So there's a, a lot on their plate to do. There are a lot of rulings that come out through them. And yeah. uh, so, well, so, but we do hope, we do hope that there would be um, more clarity going forward. Several people wrote me when I wrote, put out an email saying, we get to interview Marina for a few minutes or they go and say, get her thoughts on, on the cost cutting. I mean, or, or on, on the cost reduction on, on, on the regulation specific to regulation. And I've been saying, I don't think costs are going to be going down there. I think they're going to be going up because when you're dealing with transition from where mm-hmm. we're at, even though there's a lot of lack of definition, a lot of clarity, mm-hmm. I think it's only going to get worse as we well, move forward. This way, and I'm, it's not just CFBB we're talking about. One, 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 well, there's the states and the DOJ enforcement oh, right. actions as well. False Claims Act is something that really, really is of concern for a lot of our companies, some very well companies. Um, One of the kind going of the, through the enforcement act, actions, which gets me to the last question I want to ask you. What is the thing that the number one thing that Marina Walsh would tell our, our listeners, most many of which are independent mortgage bankers? This is where you need to focus in 2017. I think independent mortgage bankers need to focus on liquidity and mm. having capital. And uh, that's a big concern. That's a big concern among um, uh uh, those at Ginny May and just in general, we're entering a new market yeah. now. Um, it's going to be tougher. It's not 2012 when basically you could retain servicing for That's free. Right. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different mortgage servicing right market out there. Yeah, we is. saw the impairments in the first half of the year that, that, you know, and, and most independent mortgage bankers did not hedge their um, servicing rights. And so while it's still a paper value, if at some point they need to sell their servicing rights, then there's the challenge there. So I would say liquidity, have cash on hand. Just be careful. Stay well yeah. run, well managed. Yeah. And that also leads back to what we were talking about, a light. That's yeah. what a light does is being able to project your cash needs. In real time manner with empirical data is coming into a dashboard that you can actually look at and then play what ifs. I it. love it. Thank you so much for coming over here and spending a few minutes. I just love the work that you do at the MBA. Costs are one of those things where someone has got to go just get themselves messy and roll in that, all that detail. You do an amazing job of it. Thank you so oh, much. Thanks, David. Appreciate you. I'm looking forward to having you on the radio program 
as we especially get to the servicing conference. January. That's going to be yes, really, really I'm good. looking forward to that. I am too. Thank you. So let's talk a little, just a little plug for the servicing conference that's coming up. So let's give it a quick plug. People need to be attending it. Who's going to be speaking yes. at that and what, why should people attend it? Yes. We're still putting together the agenda as we speak now, but a lot of industry experts, um, we're going to cover technology, we're going to cover operating efficiencies in servicing, servicing oversight, subservicing. There's something for everybody, whether you're an independent or a bank, and that's going to be in mid-February. Yeah, that's going to be mid-February. And then we have the M&A conference that's coming up. That's going to be a two-day event. You're this time, instead of a one-day event, you're doing a two-day event. It, February 22nd to 23rd, also in Dallas. And David, you are going to be leading our super session for that. Looking forward to that with the attorneys. Legal and accounting experts. So we're excited about that. And uh, some other workshops we have in store for you banks out there. There are banks out there, but also for some independents, we have our CRA workshop down in Charlotte on December 15th. Okay, wow. Oh, that's coming up this year yet. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are busy putting this out. It's such good material, these conferences. It's it's so important people be plugged into them. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to join me here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Have a wonderful. All right, folks. We've had Marina Walsh in here talking, getting a chance to give us an update on all that's going on at the NBA, the conferences. Get out and attend these conferences. And it's not too late to come and attend this conference here at the Accounting and Financial Management. Good to have you with us. We're going to go back out to the, out to the podium and listen to them present to us. Personalization. So this is, you know, uh, taking the place of having a, you know, your uh, mortgage broker that you go to or your banker that you go to uh, with SoFi. Lowering costs uh, and also introducing, you know, a new delivery model. Uh, Simplification with with Blend, Syndio, streamlining the application process, again, demystifying. Roostify is reducing the contract to closing time. And then finally, Lenda, uh, by making things self-service, it makes things a lot quicker and also more cost-effective. And the very last thing is that after all of this, there is still, you know, Deal activity has yet to catch up within the mortgage industry. Um, And a lot of the spikes that you see can be very easily pointed out. So in 2014, it's the Zillow Trulia deal. And on the financing side in 2015, it's almost, it's almost entirely SoFi raising a billion dollars. So again, uh, I think that this is going to be because of people waiting a bit longer. Um, But also I, want you to see this as an opportunity more than anything else, because where other people are turning a blind eye, this presents to you an opportunity to bring your business further ahead of your competitors. um, Because it's, it's an inevitability that that same amount of change that's hit every other subsector of FinTech will come to the mortgage industry. And that's it. I'd be interested, how many people in the room are working with any of these vendors? Is anybody working with them? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this, 
this group of vendors is very interesting in terms of, you know, being a catalyst. And, you know, you mentioned about being able to dip your toe in the water. Right. Um, many of these vendors provide that opportunity to start small and expand the footprint. Yeah, that is... Um One of the benefits, and I, and I think that this comes back to that we're only going to see more and more of these businesses is because it's, it's actually quite easy to um, be perceived as a legitimate business if you are a SaaS vendor, because it doesn't require, you know, in the old days when you were doing uh, a, a license maintenance model, which required, um, you know, the, the most basic example of license maintenance is um, how uh, Microsoft Office used to be. <clears throat> you would have to buy something and install it on your own system. And you're making a commitment. That is your uh, word processing and, and uh, presentation building software and potentially email software from here on out. Uh, it's difficult if that is the type of solution that you're making uh, to get enough traction that you're going to get news stories written about you, that you're going to get investor interest for dollars to come in. And all of these, you know, it's a success begets success or rather publicity begets publicity. Okay, um, everybody, we're breaking away from the podium up there. There is still a high failure rate. Oops, with that. There we go. Got it. Got, got the podium mic up down and then let's get in here. So excited to have John with Resi Trader. Getting your last name, John, is John Artie. John Artie, so good to have you here. Thank I you. have been really hearing some stories about Resi Trader, what you're <laughs> doing. Uh, you got Doug, did you get to move over there recently? Recently hired our national sales executive from Mayak. Yeah, and, and I was going uh, to say, Doug, you mean to move from a very well-established company and yeah. you must see something here. And so we're setting up a time to demonstrate. So I get a jump start on this. So help me understand. <laughs> for, uh, first of all, I'd like to know why you're here at the Alight Conference yeah. and what drew you to this event. And okay. so that's a start there. Well, let me make one comment about Doug, which is kind right. of interesting. You know, we thought we were hiring a sales guy, not so much making an endorsement for us in the industry, but that's really what it's turned into yeah. is the fact that Doug decided to join us was more than just hiring an individual. It was making a statement and yes. we didn't realize that would be so profound. But I think what's attractive about this uh, particular conference. event, this yeah. conference at Alight, is we're in the midst of doing some pretty detailed planning. We've gotten through the point where as a startup company now we're, we've proven the product, we've proven people will use it, pay for it more than once, that there's a repeat customer base, volume is growing pretty dramatically. And so probably one of the most important things to us right now is planning and combining sales planning with operational That's planning. Good. So the, you know, the conference fits in very nicely with a critical need that we happen to have right now. That's really good. So talk about Resi Trader. For those that are not familiar, sure. what is it about? It sounds Resi, why is residential? <laughs> Trader sounds like it's training something. So let's talk about it. So let me, let me bring up first that there's a generational gap yeah. on Resi Trader. <laughs> okay. okay? <laughs> if you're an old guy like me, if yeah. you're 52 or older, 55 plus, yep. you remember the uh, days back of Pedestal and Ultra oh, Freeze yeah. and Lone Trader and all that stuff. And those guys tend to have been promoted away from the desk. Yeah. Okay. That's right. And so the guys who actually trade loans today are tend to be around 30. Mm -hmm. They were in middle school That's when true. all that happened. <laughs> they really don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Exactly right. And when they see our platform, they only ask me one question. And that is, does it have chat? And oh, I you're say, kidding me. No, that's it. I say it has chat. They're like, cool, give me a login. 
That's it. I don't train. They jump in. They know technology. They understand it. I would say that the generational change shift from uh, guys who, you know, remember those days. And see, here's the other thing. You know, it all feels like yesterday, right? Yes. That was eight years before the iPhone. All right. That's so the hard first, to imagine. I know, isn't it? The first <laughs> iPhone was June of 2007. Wow. Those companies were 1999. By 2000, yep. they were gone. Yep. And it feels like yesterday, the old guys like me, but actually there's a big gap there. So there's a couple of things that are aiding Resi Trader. One would be that the technology is so much better. Oh, yeah. Now, even... now we're a SaaS delivered platform and your ability to live a perfectly deliver a very secure uh, platform in a, in, a, in a very fast way, you know, broadband and the Internet and mm-hmm. all that stuff that came about that made these applications possible um, makes the makes the trading environment move at light speed. You're not waiting for pages to load. You're not waiting for data to load. So that's number one. The second thing would be that people have come to expect technology with just about everything. Right. And, and we're not quite an app on your phone yet, but we're headed that way. But I would say that the expectation set now is that there is an app for everything. And I think you put those two things together and maybe throw in the 30-year-old guys who are on the desk. And uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a real run. So up until... Doug joined us about a month ago. We didn't have any salespeople. Wow. You know, we were calling in favors and <laughs> we started trading February 26th. Right. We got to a month ago and we had done about a billion seven. There are 40 participants on the platform, 40 institutions wow. that have started to engage at some level. Some, there's a big bank that has nine users. There's some smaller guys that might have one, you know, there's different levels of intensity of their engagement. But, um, at this point, there's about 40. Then we bring Doug into the mix, and now all of a sudden we have a backlog of guys ready to onboard. Wow, that's just not surprising a, with Doug. Yeah, we had a we had a billion three in in a CRA inventory load last week. That's getting traded out this week. So it's just the the volumes have started to really kick in, which means I got a plan for operation. <laughs> but 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 if yeah. let me just tell you a little bit about what we're talking yeah. about here. Okay, you start with this fundamental idea, and this was me and one of the other founders. Around 2009, 2010, we were watching the financial crisis unfold, and Hank Paulson is on TV, and he's saying, you know, we got to get the bad assets off the bank, right? Oh, the banks have to get rid of these bad assets. Now, my good friend, who's on our board now, Danny Rubin and I, okay. are talking about this, and Danny was head of technology at Bear Stearns. Oh, okay? interesting. So he and I are saying, as a nerd technology guy joke, well, you know how they're going to get rid of the bad assets, don't you? They're going to email each other spreadsheets. Ha, ha, ha. That to us was like a technology guy's joke that they're going to try to solve the biggest financial crisis in the history through emailing spreadsheets. Through emailing spreadsheets. No platform. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to clear the stock or bond market? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Kind of, yeah. So then we looked at each other and we said, oh, wait a minute. They're emailing spreadsheets. Well, why is that? Why well, is how it? do we? And it took years of conversation to get to the point where we were like, all right, I think we know how to do this. Right. I think there might be some receptivity, and we've spent the 2000. So your background. Let's let's get into some of your background. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, probably the biggest stint was at Countrywide. Okay. I was in charge of a program like they they call these Six Sigma or right. Six Sigma programs, and from there I moved into technology. I was okay. the number two guy in technology oh, for wow. a while, and then after Countrywide, I left actually in 2007, and things were pretty rosy. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't see that coming. Um, I joined a startup company on the servicing side called Equator. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they ended up getting sold in 2013. 
but that is the king of default servicing. Exactly right. Very similar in that you had a spreadsheet dominated process. Right. We have an REO property. What do we do? We got to find a real estate agent. We got to move yeah. this thing around, uh, order the title, figure out what's going on. But then you could do that if you had a couple hundred properties, right? Correct. If you had a hundred thousand, I know. Now you needed apartment, and so Equator stepped right into that and was the platform is exactly still right. the platform of choice. Yep. Our chairman is the original founder of Equator. Oh, that's where the can. Oh, that yes. that was brother. Talk about timing. Yeah. You know, like I've told Jerry Schiano numerous yes. times. You know, better be lucky than you know oh, smart. I I mean, I've told my guys that I said, guys, we want to be good enough to be lucky. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. And now yeah. I'm thinking. Hey, if I think you, yeah, I think you hit some really good timing, especially yeah. with what I think that we're going to be seeing development in the secondary markets. But one yeah. of the questions I asked Doug was, I said, Doug, I mean, the markets are pretty efficient right now. We're, yeah. we're I mean, we're already in a Fannie, Freddie, Jenny world. What? How, where's Where's your niche? Where are you going to play? I mean, there's not. So, we used to, and I used to. I preface it by this: I traded pedestal ninety-five to two thousand. Yeah. I traded. Uh, ultra price mm-hmm. in that same time frame. They sure. came a little bit later. Sure. And you're right. T- technology is just in a whole different universe, yeah. uh, galaxy compared to what it was back then. But the concept was, and what, where my mindset was, where I was locked in, is I go, well, you got to have non-conforming product <laughs> to have a resi trader work. And he goes, no, no, Dave, let me explain this. So I'm driving to go to uh, this conference and Doug is talking to me right. and giving me some you know, some insights. I said no, and so he opened up. So open up our minds to what type of product this is. You mentioned CRAs. That's one very good one. We wrote a business plan last summer, and we went to investors when we quit our jobs. Right. It was me and the head of technology at Equator, and we quit our jobs, and we said we're going to go do this. And Chris, who's the founder of Equator, joined us later. But we started this thing. We wrote a business plan that said, "Okay, investors." You'll never see Fannie, Freddie, or Ginny on this platform. There'll be no govies. It's all going to be scratch and dent, CRA, right. jumbo, whatever. So we had people interested in supporting us. We start the platform. We built it with no customers. We get to February 26th, and we're ready to do our first trade. And the first tape they load is $80 million of govies. Wow. And we look at each other like, what the heck just happened? Happened. (laughs) (laughs) So here we were thinking it would be none of that. But actually what's happening is. That's what Doug was saying. It's really. Absolutely a very actively traded market. So guys will get their pricing on AOT or or a cash window basis. Then they send out a tape to the aggregators and maybe a few of the banks who are also in this game now. Right. And they just run a comparison. Where am I going to get my best execution, whether that's Fannie, Freddie, or one of the aggregators or, or a major bank? Fascinating. And those guys are on our platform. And the guys, I mean, I'm not going to guarantee anybody any kind of right. returns, obviously. But 20 to 40 basis points improvement on your execution, on your execution is common. Wow. It's common. Wow. And so I would say that, you know, the pricing has been good. The tapes trade out. The high balance trades out 100%. Everybody's managing their de minimis, right? So everything goes up. On the low balance or the you know regular conforming, 80% will be outpriced in the bulk market. That's um, and so you know we've been fortunate. Now, if you, you find yourself at risk of being, you know, if you're going to start getting that kind of efficiency pickup, that means you're disintermediating some players out there. There's some people that are going to get hurt. And where's the, the, the slippery slope on the other side where people are going to say, no, we're not going to let you play with them or, you know, is there, is there a downside of that? The way I look at it is, you know, our competition is Excel and, and email. That's right. right. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I've, I've reminded people, I say, look, there's realtor.com. Okay. Right. Does that mean there's zero real estate agents? 
That's right. What you have is smarter people on both sides of the transaction. Right. You have a better exchange of data. So most of the guys, you know, there are some guys who have been in the business a while and they look at the platform and they're like, are you automating me? And then they come to realize that no. actually you're just giving me more efficiency. Gave, so if you're yeah. a seller and you send out a tape and you're getting bids and you, let's say you get five bids back and you have to crack all those tapes, it could eat up half your day to sell right. out 50 loans. In Resi Trader, it's 10 minutes. You load the tape, it automatically sends it out. They bid, everything is automatically cracked for you. So 10, 15 minutes, you trade out 50 loans of total work time between the time you submit it. On the buy side, you can pick up one tape across all your sellers. You can bid that tape, right. load it to ResiTrader, and we break it into all the trade tickets. Wow. So it's not that we're changing anybody's process. No, we're making it more efficient. We're just lifting it with technology, yeah, really. That's and really great. Yeah, it's not... I'm excited about it. I mean, it's, it's one of the new things that, quite frankly, took me a little bit of surprise. I did not think that this was going to be there. But, again, we, I think the thing we that we're, we're – We admire, weren't sure. We weren't sure, but you went out there and did it, which I admire that just uh, all over the yeah. place. I really do, John. When you see the trends right now in the secondary markets, what are some of the trends that you, you think – might be showing up. You're, you're, yeah. There's a lot of talk about expanded criteria right. products. There's a lot of talk about non-agency and some very interesting uh, things that would get millennials into buy homes. There's um, interesting, you know, uh, people coming to us and saying, "How do I demonstrate I have this product available on your platform?" We refer to it as an axe. So they would post an axe on the platform. But I think one of the things we're going to have to get better about on the platform is allowing buyers, whether they're securitizing or whatever they're doing, to, to show product through the platform in the form of an axe that then auto filters the inventory as it comes on. So that's, I think that's a natural next step for us. The other natural next step for us, though, is there's a surprising amount of NPL and RPL out there. I mm -hmm. thought most of that had changed hands already. But it, my personally, I didn't realize there was a tremendous backlog of trades in the NPL RPL space. So we have a trade coming on this month wow. with non-performing loans. Now that's one I thought that's too hairy for a platform. How are you going to do that with all the documents that have to go back and forth? But we're going to see. There's guys that yeah. want to give it. We have about eight to ten participants who are ready to give it a shot. So I think what you'll see from us is product expansion, and CRA is the first one. NPL RPL is the second one. I think you'll see feature enhancement in terms of, let's call it uh, the new Dodd-Frank environment. Right. We're all reading about that, right? right. That may allow um, expanded criteria loans, and I think we'll be able to demonstrate that via Resi Trader they can show out and get inventory more quickly that way. And then integrations. That's the big thing for us is integrating to your LOS, integrating to your pricing engine. We're about to announce a major pricing engine integration. Really? Um, yes, I Ink is just drying now, so I'll wait. Well, hold yeah, that one. I love you. Got tell me, call me about. It. I'll give you my card. I want yeah. to hear about that. Uh, Announce it on the radio program. I love be a it. Big press release, and then uh, we also have a big group of community banks. There's an organization that represents a couple thousand community banks mm. that's bringing the community banks to the platform. I think that's a so. real opportunity, especially when you see that crowdfunding. Crowd, and as far as the, you you look at that yes. as a potential, small, insignificant at this I'm time, not. but. Uh, is there any potential for crowdfunding? I mean, you mean peer-to-peer? Peer-to-peer, yeah. I'm talking about peer-to-peer. -peer. Yeah, yeah. So. peer-to-peer -peer investing. I think there's potential, but I think when you're talking about moving, you know, if you look at what's emailed around today, 
the estimates I hear are every month, 30 to 50, 60 billion dollars of email mm-hmm. spreadsheets. Right. Crowdfunding is never going to touch that. Never touch that. I mean, maybe if crowdfunding is what, 50, 100 million dollars a month, they'll claim victory. But the mortgage market is in the tens of billions. billions, So it's just, I would say there's there's a place. Well, I think think one of the things when you start looking at yields overseas and where yields are there, I think foreign investors coming into the markets may be looking for, you know, non-traditional ways. So that could be really fascinating. I have been contacted by investors. I'm not kidding you. They come through the website. I have had emails from, (laughs) of all places, Iceland, the (laughs) Netherlands. Not surprising. Iceland, the Netherlands, uh, Australia, and England. Everyone's all, looking for yield. They're all like, you know, and, and this, the idea is that this is a, some level of guarantee or backing right. or support um, to ensure that yield. So, yeah. yes, there has been I'm foreign interest. We, we feel like we have enough fish to fry in the U.S. Yeah, well, yeah, there's but, this. I, but maybe in the. John, I am just really thrilled that, that uh, Ralph got you in here. I've been yeah. tracking your, what you've been doing. I'm well, so mead, so nice to put a friendly smile on your gentleman's <laughs> face. If people want to learn more, how can they get a hold of you, and what's the best way for them? You know, if you just go to resitrader.com, all of our information is is there, all of our contact information. I do have a lot of people contacting us directly through the site, and, of course, Doug is our conduit now for national sales efforts. So it's starting to get uh, pretty darn busy. I think we're going to have to grow the team here. That's very exciting. Hopefully a light can help us with that. Congratulations on your success, and I'm excited to see you out of the market and doing so well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Appreciate it. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a great one. All right. All right. Well, or I keep saying raffle. We're going to draw. It's a lottery, I guess. Um, an iPhone at the end of this session. So be sure to stick around for that. Uh, the next session is about cash flow and liquidity. And Colin Meese and Jared Huff are going to come up and do that. Jared. So let's get started. Thanks, David. So liquidity is paramount in the mortgage industry. Given all the risks we have to juggle, maintaining liquid assets on hand is a very important part of managing the business. Entities involved in various stages of the loan life cycle, like regulators, insuring agencies, or investors, key on your liquidity and are impacted by the current level you're operating under. To list a few of the key reasons for monitoring your liquidity, are default risks, thresholds mandated by your warehouse lenders, and loan repurchases. There are many factors that go into this liquidity equation, all of which must be actively managed if you want to better prepare your business for significant changes in the market. So let's discuss a few of those as we illustrate a scenario some of you may have faced. So let's talk about Paula. She's a firm owner who's been running her business for years. She's very active and forward-looking in managing her firm's liquidity. And she's also always paid out an annual dividend to her shareholders. And now that she's about three months out from that annual date, she wants to check on how well-prepared her company is for that significant of a cash outflow. So she logs into a light, and she discovers that if she, she logs into a light on her mobile device, and she discovers that if she runs her what-if scenario, for her annual dividend payout, she's actually breaching the liquidity threshold that's mandated by one of her warehouse lenders. So now she knows that over the course of the next three months, she has to improve her firm's cash flow and liquidity 
if she wants to continue her streak of annual dividend payouts to shareholders. So she picks up the phone and calls her CFO so they can discuss the options and how to improve the firm's liquidity in such a short time frame. So the CFO picks up the phone and she begins to list out the options. Well, I could talk to capital markets about the bulk sale of MSR, but we probably won't see cash from that for four to six months. And even then, given the current market conditions, we're probably going to end up taking a loss on it. There's the possibility of profitability leakage, which we usually keep a pretty good eye on. But I'll take a look at a branch reporting to see if there's any signs of it occurring again. We could lower the level of our servicing retained, so that we reduce the amount of cash tied up in future value. I could talk to secondary marketing about our dwell times, but that's probably going to be a longer term shift since the best way to speed that up is to improve our loan quality. And lastly, I can take a look at our capacity planning to see if there's an opportunity to delay some of our hiring. So Paula listens to all those options, considers them and says, great, thank you for the rundown. It sounds like our best option moving forward is to change the level of servicing retained. So Paula goes into a light and plays with different scenarios in order to understand how different levels of servicing retention better prepare them to perform in comparison to the thresholds mandated by their warehouse lenders. So when Paula logs into a LIDAR in her computer, we see the dashboard she uses to gauge the performance of her company with respect to the warehouse covenants, which are, liquidity, which are a liquidity requirement, a tangible net worth threshold, and the capital ratio. The dashboard is currently assuming that the cash outflow for the dividend payment has already occurred. So that is why we see her significantly below her warehouse requirements for the majority of the year. The two horizontal lines represent the two warehouse lenders they borrow from and the thresholds they have set for each metric. Folks, we have been broadcasting live from the 2016 Alight CEO, CFO, Finance Executive Innovation Forum here at the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego. It's been a real honor to do this, and on behalf of Alight, very excited about the partnership we have with them. I encourage you to go to Alight, Alight, A-L-I-G-H-T-I-N-C, as Alight Incorporated, Dot com and learn more about this exciting, innovative company and the innovation that they're bringing to those in this industry and across other industries. I'm excited about it because finally we have a dynamic tool with empirical data being fed by other systems. So business executives and the C-level suite team and many others within the organization will be able to have a realistic look at what's going on in their finances good to be with you. Appreciate the light for allowing me to come in and podcast this event. And if you're interested in having me come in and do one of your events, well, give me a call. Look forward to hearing from you. Go to the website, looking on lending, or you go to my website on the consulting side, Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Have a great day, everybody. Good to have you with us. And congratulations to a, for a very successful event here in San Diego with Alight Incorporated. Good to be, have, good to be here. Good to have you listening. See you soon.